With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, what's more football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here in the studio with Sam Watson at home, slightly under the weather, but we're going to get through it, Sam, or at least you are. Well, we think. We don't know yet. You know, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just keel over midway through the podcast and then you'll have to solo the last uh, hour of it. I'm ready. The voice is back, mostly. We'll see if we can uh, see how the endurance is, though. But uh, big show today. Uh, Starting with, I see you got a fresh shave. We can't talk too much off topic here, but you got a fresh shave? Yeah, I, I I bought that skull shaving thing and I, I took a shot at it yesterday and I don't know, I don't, I'm not wild on it, I got to say. Here's the thing that I didn't expect, right? I, I don't know what I expected, but I expected there to be some sort of residual stubble left, but it it gets it smooth, right? Like hmm. clean. It's good to know. Um, which is, it becomes an uncomfortable texture. Like it's it's properly like, smooth and freakish it's like some sort of weird like warm plastic prop that somebody would use i don't i'm, I'm not a fan no i don't like it it's don't like it head. at all so this is you for the rest of your life here i mean it might be yeah i just I, i'm not sure i like that all right well well welcome welcome Thanks. to full bald um all right we got a lot to get into here we planned on our fixing your team series continuing we're gonna do that we're gonna hit the nfc east and the nfc south and but before we get to that, yesterday, a plethora of news. We hit. We had an emergency PFF NFL daily. I grabbed uh, Eric Eager to talk about the Russell Wilson deal, uh, mostly from the Denver Broncos side. We had today's PFF NFL daily. Did a little high level, you know, run around the league with Brad Spielberger. So both of those quick ten minute episodes are out there. But yesterday, Sam, we have Aaron Rodgers coming back officially with the Green Bay Packers. We have Russ traded to the Broncos. We have all sorts of franchise tags and re-signings. A lot happened yesterday, starting with Rodgers and Russ. What were your initial reactions there? I mean, my initial reaction is uh, I was 2-0 and for these ones, right? Remember last year, I, I got the Rodgers thing completely wrong. I got the Brady thing completely wrong at the start of this offseason. Thought he would go back as well. So we were working from behind here. But... I said for a while that I think Rodgers was going to go back to Green Bay. It made the most sense. It didn't make any sense for him to go anywhere else, more importantly. And I just didn't see him retiring. And then Russell Wilson was the one quarterback that I've been saying, I can see that he would get moved, right? Like, if he was unhappy a year ago, he's only more unhappy now. 
And for the first time, the Seahawks are probably got to be looking at this and saying, you know what, Russell Wilson on his own just isn't enough to take this team to anywhere successful. So if somebody does come in with a big trade haul, we have to start listening. Um, and that's how it panned out. The The other thought was, you know, Rogers had his big announcement. It's like, hey, guys, I'm coming back. Isn't it great? You know, let's talk about me for a while. And then like 20 minutes later, blockbuster trade, one of the biggest trades, you know, in decades in the NFL. Russell Wilson's going to the Denver Broncos. All of a sudden, they're Super Bowl contenders. And Rogers just sitting there fuming, watching his news cycle disappear, get hijacked by, by Russell Wilson. I, I thought that was pretty funny. I don't know if the actual year-by-year breakdown is out there yet on Aaron Rodgers, but uh, what I'm hearing from people that are hearing stuff is that <laughs> the uh, the drama will continue. I mean, if you thought Favre, Favre watch on SportsCenter back in yeah. the late aughts or whatever they're called, that decade, if you thought that was much, I mean, we're talking every Tuesday with McAfee. Is this, you know, it's going to be, is this the, is this the week? Is this the week that Aaron Rodgers decides what he's going to do? That's going to be next year and the year after and the year after. Um, the biggest thing, though, I think it, it will add some flexibility. It's going to be a lot of money, but I think it's going to be structured well enough that uh, it's not going to be hurting Green Bay to, um, to keep the players that they need to keep both this year and beyond. So it does look like the Packers are going to be good for the foreseeable future. It's not going to be Aaron Rodgers and nobody just because of the contract. And uh, that's a big thing. So Rodgers and Devontae are back. There will be, you know, some casualties, but I think it'll, you know, just puts a little more pressure on the Packers and their, their, you know, their team as far as you know, bringing people in through the draft. So Packers are back, and now Russ goes to Denver to this loaded AFC West. We already fixed all the AFC West teams, but man, Russ, Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr all in the same division right now. Yeah, um, and you know, you would be saying that. Russell Wilson on a, uh, a roster as talented, <clears throat> as talented as Denver in any other division, you'd be saying automatic Super Bowl contenders, one of the favorites. Like they might be the third best team in their own division, right? Because you've got the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and you have the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Um, and then you have Russell Wilson and Denver. The I, I do think it's a really interesting move for everybody concerned. Seattle, you know, they obviously decided it was time to move on. Shortly after that, they released Bobby Wagner because that saves whatever it was, $16 million in cap space. So they appear to be committing to a full rebuild in Seattle um, or at least think that their best chance of making that happen is hammering the draft this year and next year, um, which is kind of amazing for a team that has a coach as old as Pete Carroll, frankly, that they were willing to commit to this kind of rebuild. And then from the Russell Wilson point of view, we put him on a, a roster that's as good as Denver. Denver kept intact basically all of their playmakers. Noah Fant was the only guy that was part of the trade. There was a fear that if they were going to secure a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, they were going to have to part with a Jerry Judy or a Cortland Sutton or one of the key pieces of that passing attack. They didn't. So now we're going to get another data point in terms of seeing Russell Wilson in a different offense, a different environment, a different system, and see what that looks like. And then the other aspect of this that's kind of under the radar is that this is a division now with a couple of those defenses that play that split safety look, those two high um, type of uh, defenses that cause Russell Wilson problems. Remember Brandon Staley's defense when it was the number one defense in the league with the Rams? Wilson had a nightmare of a time dealing with that defense. Obviously, it's not as good with the Chargers, but how good the players were was kind of 
ancillary to the fact that Wilson couldn't figure out what was happening and kept tossing the ball straight to defensive backs. Yeah, anytime you have quarterbacks changing systems, I, I, I love it because I, you. Yeah, I always say you know more more data points, right? When when Tom Brady goes from New England to Bruce Arians' system, when Matthew Stafford goes from all the systems he's been in in Detroit to the Rams, now seeing how does Nathaniel Hackett build around Russell Wilson? Do they put the ball in Russ's hands more? Is there more of a quick passing element to you know to the new Broncos offense? Uh, unlike what they did in Seattle. Tried to do that a little bit in Seattle this past year, but it's never really been Russ's game. Uh, do they trust Russ more than Seattle seemed to at times throughout their their history? I also, I think from the Seattle perspective, um, luckily we haven't done fixing your NFC West teams yet, so we have plenty to talk about this. Um, I did a poor job of explaining the terms of the trade on the daily. So Seattle did get Drew Locke, Noah Fant at tight end, and then defensive lineman Shelby Harris. Then two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a fifth-rounder. So Seattle goes from having you know, very limited draft capital, didn't have a first-round pick. Now they have all these draft picks this year and beyond. And now you, you mentioned they release a uh, potential friend of the show, Bobby Wagner. I don't know if Bobby's going to end up joining the show now. now Maybe he's got you know, time now to do he, that interview. You, you would think he has time. Or he's got less time. He's got to find a job. He's got to find his next team. That's true. He's his own agent. He doesn't have an agent. So maybe maybe now's now he's the busiest busy. time of all for or Bobby. He's gonna we can use this to hype things up. Because we know execs around the league listen to the PFF NFL podcast. And this this could be where you could uh make your pitch here, Bobby. Uh, but Seattle now has I mean, they're in full rebuild mode. You lose Wilson, you lose Wagner. The whole identity of the great Seattle Seahawks teams, they're all gone. And I know Seattle has been great in the draft or from a team-building standpoint necessarily over the last few years, but I'm intrigued by their ability to start over. Do they go with a draft pick, uh, a quarterback at nine? Uh, do they find their next you know, young quarterback to build around? What do they do with these draft picks? Because remember, when the, when the Seahawks used to draft in the first round before they traded a bunch of them, they made different picks. They, they scouted differently than a lot of teams, for better or for worse. So uh, I think the world's a better place when we get to see what Seattle does with their first-round picks and what their thoughts are as far as a full rebuild goes. Um, I don't necessarily think they're building around Drew Locke, but sure, you take Drew Locke as a throw-in because he's another one of those guys who's probably a low, low-end starter, high-end backup. Like, sure, you're going to take that. So um, I'm interested in this from Seattle's point of view as well. Um, other stuff around the league, Mike Williams re-signed with the Los Angeles Chargers. You've got Williams and Keenan Allen both making $20-plus million a year at receiver. Chargers had that type of cap space. Uh, Cam Robinson, I think the biggest surprise franchise tag by the Jaguars. They did it for the second straight year. The guy um, is coming off. He's coming off his best pass blocking season. S still has not been a very valuable offensive tackle through the years. So I'm not sure if that's the best move, but that moves the needle for the top of the NFL draft for perhaps Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson became the favorite yesterday because of that. Um, so there was a lot of movement yesterday as far as uh, the NFL goes. Yeah, and there was a lot of buzz in Indy that the Jags are going to be um, in the market for Teron Armstead, the the best left tackle available in free agency. And I don't think this takes them out of that necessarily. Remember, they need two tackles, not one. Like, both their tackle spots are real problem areas. So maybe they franchise Cam Robinson, and the idea is he might move to right tackle next year. Or Teron Armstead comes in anyway, and it still frees them up to go Aiden Hutchinson or whoever they think is the best spot at number one overall. So, yeah, I, I think it does point that the top of the draft pivots towards uh, an edge rusher, but I don't think it's necessarily 100% because of Cam Robinson. 
the people are talking about your winged eagle championship belt. It's well hung in the back there. Oh, yeah. geez, that's poor wording. It is, yeah, very, very, yeah, yeah. very poor wording. Just cut that out. We cut that stuff out as, yeah, all the time. Yeah, easy, not a problem. Yeah, I'm gonna get the. Uh, yeah, I want the old school NWA belt with uh, probably with Ric Flair's name on it. I think I need that. Huh. I got the PFF belt over here. You do because we're champions. But uh, good work there, Sam. Thanks. Uh, anything else yesterday? Bunch of franchise tags. The re-signing of um, of Harold Landry. Oh, so Harold Landry, for a lot of Harold Landry yeah. and all of a sudden the Tennessee Titans have an absolute boatload of money tied up in two guys, neither of whom really affect the passer that much. So you've got Bud Dupree, who just isn't a good player, period. And then you've got Harold Landry, who gets quite a lot of pressure, but largely because he's just out there for every single pass rushing snap, right? Um, and he's a lot a good... of his pressure is late. It's clean up. It's, it's not decisive, impactful pressure. So, yes, he's getting a lot of it, and there is value to a guy that's playing every single snap, right? Right. But that's a lot of money tied up in two guys, neither of whom are amazing. Yeah, it is. And I know Landry's a good fit for what they do. He drops into coverage a lot, plays off-ball linebacker a little bit in some packages, and in, there's a comfort level in what you know. Over $80 million, though, over five years. I mean, it's yeah. a massive potential contract. I'm not sure on the actual terms of it at the moment, but – uh, it is, like you said, a huge investment in those two edge defenders that aren't great. It's just straight up winning one-on-ones. And the other part about – look, I know there's a healthy debate around the NFL about the importance of the defensive line and rushing the passer and all that stuff. I don't doubt that part of it, that it's really important and valuable. But, man, there are – I always think of like the Tyus Bowsers of the world, the second-round, first-contract players who, if given the opportunity, can provide similar production as a lot of these guys that are making a ton of money. So – I'd say it's a little risky on Tennessee from Tennessee's standpoint, but it takes Landry, uh, by most people, top 20, top 30 player. Uh, I forget where he landed for us on our free agent board, but it takes a player off the board as far as free agency goes. Uh, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves that we're talking about here today, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions help you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, Sam, I'm sure the other stuff's going to come up as usual, right? There's a lot of other stuff happening around the league, but free agency starts next week. We'll touch on all of it. We have to fix your teams. We have to fix your teams before free agency. The AFC is in the books. We did it. We were, we're halfway through the league. 16 teams fixed. I'm sure they all listened to us in, in, over the last couple of weeks. But we're going to go through the NFC East and South. Let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. Again, just to reiterate how we did this historically, we were going to do this in five minutes last year, and then we decided to do it more long form. Give your team the, uh, the love that it needs. So starting with the Dallas Cowboys, coming into the offseason, you would say, hey, Michael Gallup going to be a free agent, got to replace him, so you got a really good trio at receiver, but now we're talking to Mari Cooper on the trading block, potentially getting released. Maybe they're going to bring Gallup back. But um, I know you've come out and said that as a starting point here for Dallas. If you're going to let Cooper walk and or trade him or trade him, you got to get Michael Gallup back in the mix just so you're not all of a sudden depleted a receiver. Yeah, at, at a minimum. And honestly, I would want Gallup and Cedric Wilson back if I was letting go of Amari Cooper. And there was reports today that Cedric Wilson is somehow out of their price range now. Um, I don't know if people think the same thing I do in terms of he is a much better player than he's currently shown. And if you project him forward to a bigger role, he could be a much bigger part of an offense and therefore are paying him accordingly. 
But yeah, if if Cedric Wilson's market is getting more than you want to go, if Amari Cooper's on the way out, sure, you know you can get a, you can get by. You've kept uh, Dalton Schultz in town with the franchise tag. Obviously, C.D. Lamb is the superstar there. But you really do want to bring back Michael Gallup and give you at least a secondary option at wide receiver and there create a kind of trio of Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and Dalton Schultz and, and whatever you have out of the backfield. If you can't keep Gallup as well, like that's all of a sudden a massive strength of this team, i.e. having receivers all over the place and not being able to cover all of them to almost being a weakness at that point. So I, I think Cedric Wilson pricing himself out, you know, even if he makes Brad Spielberger's projection over on the PFF free agent board, two years, six plus million dollars a year. If you're talking about your third wide receiver, isn't that right? I mean, look, it's not a bad deal by any means, but aren't you better off if you're going to invest the money in Michael Gallup? Eventually, very soon, you're going to have to pay C.D. Lamb as well. Aren't you better off drafting someone because of the depth of receiver? I think that's kind of where the Cowboys are at. I would I would think about the draft and um, you kind of know what Cedric Wilson is. I think he's a good, dependable player. Uh, a low, a very low end two, a high end three. I'd be really interested to see in the draft. You know, do you get somebody uh, on day two or whatever it might be, and add them to the mix? Um, because the, the there's also the potential huge payout with those guys, um, but also you know a, a rookie contract. So I think that's the strategy for the Cowboys: get Gallup back perhaps draft somebody rather than spending the money on Cedric Wilson. Offensively, the only other player they don't have under contract is is starting left guard Connor Williams. I mean, as far as the offense goes, it's looking pretty good. Randy Gregory hits free agency on the defense at edge. Leighton Vander Esch hits free agency at linebacker. Both safe or all of their safeties pretty much. Devontae Casey, uh, J. Ron Curse, Malik Hooker. I mean, if you can get Curse back at a cheap price, they they found a really good role for him last year. But I think most of this offseason, other than receiver, is going to be spent on the defensive side of the ball for the Cowboys. Yeah, it, it will be, and it probably should be. Um, the The Randy Gregory one is interesting because when you look at the the edge rusher group, um, it's it's a lot of guys that are old or have you know major question marks of some kind. Von Miller showed that he's still capable of elite play, but he's what thirty two now or thirty three. Chandler Jones is only a year behind, and his overall grade has been taking a nosedive the last couple of years. His pass rush grade is still very good. Harold Landry, we just talked about, is taken off the board. So all of a sudden, um, Randy Gregory becomes like the one obvious guy who's playing at a really high level rushing the passer and isn't old. Like he's, what, 28 or he's, he's in his prime. But Gregory, because of the issues he's had in his career with you know suspensions and the like, his entire career is like 1,600 snaps old, only half of which have been good, you know, pass rushing play. That's a really small sample size of data to be handing the guy the bag on, even if even if there wasn't an issue in terms of, you know, if he does something else, he's suspended for a, a decent period of time. So Gregory's market is going to be a pretty, in, a pretty fascinating one to monitor and probably not one that the Cowboys want to get involved in. They've, they've already apparently reportedly invited Demarcus Lawrence to take a pay cut was I think the way it was phrased, you know, who yeah. and he declined, right? Hey, Demarcus, we've got a, a really interesting offer for you. We'd like you to take less money next year. How, what do you think? He was like, uh, no, actually tempting as that offer is, I'm going to go ahead and say, forget it. I'm paying, playing for whatever contract value is on the table right now. And if you don't give it to me, release me and I'll go get more for somebody else. So 
they're trying to penny pinch. Demarcus Lawrence is a very good player, regardless of what the sack totals say, but they are low on impact players in that front seven outside of him and Micah Parsons now. The problem with Lawrence, his cap number last year, uh, it was the first year it really jumped up, $25 million. It's going up to 27 29 and then technically back down to three. I don't know if that's a void year. This last year in 2024, but the next uh, two years under contract are massive. So can kind of understand what the Cowboys are thinking about there. I think it might be less about what he is as a player and more about, hey, we gave you this monster contract, and now it's starting to get a little, a little unwieldy, much like the Zeke contract, as you like to re- remind people that that is the uh, – the bigger hindrance as far as money goes with the Cowboys. So uh, off-season investment, it's a lot in the front seven. Front seven and safety for the Cowboys. I think at 24 overall in the draft, every single one of the Georgia defensive linemen are in play and probably getting uh, mocked to the Cowboys at some at some point, whether it's Trayvon Walker as a true uh, upside edge who's, a, who's an outstanding athlete with size, um, and, and plays the run really well. Devontae Wyatt, who's more of a penetrator. Um, I think Dallas could use a, a hold-the-point type of defensive tackle. I'm not saying you get that in the first round, but this has been a need for years now. Uh, Wyatt's not necessarily that guy, but the dude can the dude can disrupt. And if you added if, – if Demarcus Lawrence is back, and you added Wyatt. I think I added Wyatt in my mock draft. And you have Micah Parsons. Man, that is – that's a nice trio of guys that can get after the QB. And then Jordan Davis, who again – I know you just watched every one of Jordan Davis's snaps, but – Having him as a, a run-first type of player, I think all those Georgia guys are in play there at 24. Yeah, it, now coming out of the combine, you know, the hype for Jordan Davis is out of control. People are talking about the top 10, the top 15, wherever. Like he's his stock is never going to be higher than it is right this second. Who knows if that will translate to draft day once the dust has had a chance to settle and people have had a chance to calm down a little bit and connect or reconnect those workout numbers to his tape. But if Jordan Davis was available at 24, I think that's actually a pretty good landing spot for him. Like, there's a lot of projection to his play. The upside is fantastic. Obviously, he's a run defender first, but that's the kind of area that I would start getting intrigued about taking Jordan Davis. If you were telling me that in order to get him, I've got to pick him in the top half of the first round, I just want no part of it. Like, his run tape is good, but it's not spectacular, and... There isn't enough of it. Like, that's the biggest problem. The guy barely played relative to some other players. And when he was playing, even when he, even just watching the run snaps, you can see plays where he looks tired or is just taking them off and not, you know, not playing 100%. Like, if you're only playing 300 snaps a year, I need you playing 100% in those 300 snaps, particularly if none of them are rushing the passer. Like, go out there and dominate the guy in front of you because you outweigh him by 50 pounds and you're stronger than he is. I can't have plays where you're just like loafing through it because otherwise you're not making any impact for me. Maybe a pro day, Jordan Davis should run like five forties and then, and, and that's his test, right? It's a stamina, stamina test. Yeah, the bleep test. Yeah. Send him on the bleep test and see how long he lasts. There you go. So, I mean, he's forget, forget one isolated 40. We need to know that Jordan Davis can run, can play 600, 700 snaps, you know, to get that first round value there. Um, uh, the safety market, always one that's kind of all over the place. I don't know if Dallas needs to go, uh, high end, or if they want to bring back Malik Hooker as a as a player. Like, like I said, I think trying to figure out what Jaron Curse is worth on the yeah. open market. He's only really had that one good year, and it was in Dallas, and that might be a favorable situation for him to return there. Uh, Casey uh, moved from corner to safety was okay 
in that role. Uh, old friend Xavier Woods is the guy I keep giving to everybody that just needs like a true free safety. I don't know if he would return to Dallas in a, in a similar role with a, in a new scheme, but um, safety definitely something that needs to be addressed here for the Cowboys. Another team that I think wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a bad idea to take a shot at a, a reclamation project like Anthony Harris, who is a couple yes. of years removed from really high end play, didn't play that well for Philadelphia, didn't play that well in this last year in Minnesota, but has got that kind of deep. Uh, free safety range has got the versatility to play in any kind of scheme um, and it would be a buy low opportunity which I think is a good thing and also something they're probably looking for right now given all the talk about money and contracts and what they're trying to do at the moment all right let's make some actual moves here um, heavy investment on the defensive line I can say grab grab one of the Georgia guys that's a start um, I, I'm not breaking the bank in free agency for another edge or anything like that so it's your kind of your your second tier group of edges. I think when it comes to to free agency, I would probably say the same thing as far as safety goes. Some of the guys that we've already mentioned there uh, to fill those spots. You have Micah Parsons as a linebacker. I think that kind of dictates your strategy too. Is he a linebacker? Is he an edge? Is he truly both? Does that give you more flexibility as a, I did everything I could. Every time I ran into anybody from the Cowboys in the, at the combine, I was like, can you just tell me what Micah Parsons is? Can you just tell me what you call him? And uh, somebody just came back and said, freak. So he's freak position, which doesn't help much. It doesn't help much when you're trying to put the depth chart together, right, for, uh, for the Cowboys. See, this is the difference between you and I, right? You're, at, you're quizzing all these Cowboys guys about the, uh, the official position designation yeah. for Micah Parsons, and I'm quizzing them all about what goes on in the Jerry bus while it's, while it's chilling in, in Indy in the back of a, back of a, a hotel parking lot. Are you, are you allowed to tell that story, or do you feel like that one was con- confidential? <laughs> I mean, I, the secret meetings, I think, was the official explanation for what goes on in the Jerry bus. So I, I'm not going to parse it beyond that. Secret meetings, the Jerry bus that is found all over Indianapolis, which is great. Um, I would say um, Cowboys fans also, you know, your friend, yeah, Josie Jewell, who we really like at linebacker. Keep an eye on him at linebacker for the Cowboys. I think he'd be a good potential fit there. So uh, we've given some options on the defensive side of the ball. Lock up Michael Gallup, draft a receiver, I think round two. I mean, if you get one of those defensive linemen in round one, grab uh, the leftover receivers in the second round, which is not a knock. That's like, hey, you're finding some good players there. Like Traylon Burks could be in the second round now where Dallas picks at that point. Um, So add, I I think the positional value might match up defensive line, receiver as far as the draft goes. Traylon Burks could absolutely be the way he's working out. He did improve his vertical and his broad jump at his pro day, but elected not to even attempt to improve on a four five five forty. Yeah, that's just sitting on that. That's a red flag. Like that's not good. Um, the guy that I think that would be really inter- inter- a great fit for them in the second round is Sky Moore. If Sky Moore makes it that far, yeah, he could be your Amari Cooper replacement in terms of a guy that can win with route running inside outside has the ability to to kind of win at all levels, apparently is faster than people thought he was, which again, it was kind of an Amari Cooper thing. Remember going back, it was Amari Cooper versus Kevin White and Kevin White was the superstar athlete. And then it turned out Amari Cooper tested way better than maybe people were expecting him to and is actually a, a, a really good athlete in his own right. It just doesn't necessarily show up that way because he looks so smooth. That's Those are all ways of describing Sky Moore. All right, Dallas Cowboys, we got them fixed. And uh, just to answer Drew in the chat, five minutes is not the goal. That's why we put LOL, JK. We're not actually going to fix your team in five minutes. That was the goal like two years ago, and we failed. And now we've embraced that uh, it's going to take some time. 
Um, it will not take some time for you to love Manscaped's ultra premium collection, though. Look at you, smiling in appreciation. Manscaped, here, here it is. The ultra, ultra premium collection. It's here. It's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. It's an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man. Covers your top to bottom. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off, plus free shipping with the code PFF. Here's your recommended order of operations with these products. You hop in the shower, scrub a dub-dub with the body, uh, that body with the Manscaped body wash. So you start with the body wash. You lather your hair up. Not Sam here. But you lather your hair up with a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Then you dry off and spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Then number four, you put on Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. And then number five, pop that Manscaped lip balm on because no one's out here kissing those chapped up lips. Getting dressed after that's optional. Wear one great scent all day long. Getting 20%. Get 20% off. Plus free shipping with the code PFF. It's manscaped.com. 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle. Thanks to our friends at Manscaped. All right, who's next here in the NFC East? Alphabetically, it is the Giants. The New York Giants. The rumors are coming in strong here that they're going to make a play for Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky coming in with uh, Brian Dable to, uh, to push Daniel Jones. Say what you want about Trubisky. I'm all for this move, though, for the Giants because Trubisky just, Dable just had him for a year. We saw one almost full game of Trubisky in the preseason, and he looked good. So why not take a shot and see if he could push Daniel Jones for this year? Yeah, I don't hate that. Um, Trubisky's been coming up a lot so far this offseason, and you know the idea that he could start again, given what we've seen from him, it seems insane. Like if, if, if we're talking ourselves back into the idea that Trubisky's a, a starter that can take a team somewhere, I, things have gone off the rails. That being said, if you're looking at the Giants and you're saying, well, I think Daniel Jones can be a better player with Brian Dayball and with the situation around him better and with an improved offensive line and blah, blah, blah. The play was improving until everything fell apart. It's still a projection, right? And you're still not 100% sure. So if I think that that can happen, I, there's no downside to, like if you can't beat out Mitchell Trubisky, there's no, that wasn't going to happen, you know? So yeah. if he loses the job to Trubisky, it was never going to be Daniel Jones in the first place. And then from Trubisky's point of view, it's a long shot based off what we've seen from him. But A, if he beats out Daniel Jones, that's a good thing. B, the fact that Brian Dayball has gone after him, having been working with him for a year in Buffalo, I think is a, it's an endorsement of some kind, right? So those would be two things that say, that are in his favor. And then you get to see, well, let's see if Brian Dayball plus the good situation can get a better Mitchell Trubisky than Matt Nagy could. So there's no downside to this, I guess, is my point. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's, a, if there's a massive upside, like it's a limited shot to nothing. But yeah, like unless you're, if the cost is reasonable, I'm, I'm all for it. Like let's put both these guys in there and you've got two marginal quarterbacks and you might end up with one. I've had some questions as well about, um, say, we look at the Eagles and Jalen Hurts, and I've come out before and said, hey, I would, I would draft another quarterback. I'm not fully a believer in Jalen Hurts. I believe in Jalen Hurts on his first contract, that if the Eagles put a really good roster around him, he'd be okay. I don't, I'm not 
at some point the going rate for your second contract is thirty million plus. I don't think Jalen Hurts is that guy for me yet. We'll see. Um, so I've said, hey, draft another quarterback if you're Philadelphia. With the Giants, I, I I'm I'm kind of back and forth on this. Right, I would draft a quarterback if he was there. Because same thing, Daniel Jones, his contract's up. I'm not ready to pay him $30 million. Nobody's going to make less than $30 million on a second contract, right? Like, is that even going to happen at any point? Um, so I'm not ready to pay Daniel Jones, but I think there's a difference when you're where the regime is. Giants are starting over fresh from GM, head coach, and the whole thing. The Giants have picks five and seven. I th- and, and, you, and, and there's no slam dunk at quarterback, right? So I think it's a great time for the Giants to just build that foundation. Uh, let Daniel Jones play it out. Bring in Trubisky. Why not? Take some shots. Um, and if there's not massive improvement from Daniel Jones or Trubisky, I mean, you're, you're in the QB market next year. Hopefully yeah. with a, fi- a fifth and seventh round pick, a much better offensive line, presumably, right? You do the work to build the offensive line, put some more defensive uh, pieces in place, and just have a better spot for a quarterback next year. And that's either through the draft or if the next really good quarterback, you know, Kyler Murray's really upset, goes back to social media, re-deletes all the Cardinal stuff, and then you go get Kyler, right? I mean, you just have to be ready. You build the roster for when the next social media uh, deletion occurs and you pounce when there's a good quarterback available. Yeah, which I think is the upshot of the Giants this year is they're not in a position to get a quarterback that's definitely going to be the answer going forward. If they weren't in the Russell Wilson sweepstakes, Rodgers is already gone. They're not going to be in the Deshaun Watson thing. Like, this is it, right? So it's either roll with Daniel Jones and be happy. It's add competition to Daniel Jones, like a Mitchell Trubisky, fine. Or it's spend one of those top 10 picks on a quarterback in a year where nobody thinks there's really one of those worth it. So I don't really see them doing that, at which point, yeah, double your chances that one of those quarterbacks that has talent but hasn't yet put it all together can be the guy with an offensive-minded head coach and go repair the offensive line, which was the biggest problem last year. And that's if they came out of the draft with two offensive linemen in the first 10 picks, I think that would be good good business. Um, You'd go O-line five and seven. I think you could. I don't think you're necessarily like, – you're not locked into that. But if they came out of the draft, go having gone offensive line at 5-7, and seven, I certainly think it would be a good thing. Here's what I'm thinking for the Giants. Um, things that are already being rumored that I think are good plays. Trading Saquon Barkley, trading James Bradbury. Uh, both in their last year, uh, both players – I mean, look, if you can get anything for Saquon Barkley, not anything for Saquon That's Barkley. The thing. I don't I don't think it's worth it. Like the what you're going to get back for Saquon Barkley. And I think somebody might have been Brad talking about like projected trade. It's like a fourth round pick for a fourth round pick. If I would it's keep only Saquon a fourth, Barkley I would... for what he can do for you this year alone. Sure. Like I don't keep him for a fourth. Maybe uh, I. you don't think there are teams that would still be really intrigued by that skill set. No. I don't think anybody is going to give you more than the fourth for Saquon, at which point I think he's at least... more used to you in the backfield and playing for your team next year than he is bringing you a fourth-round pick. I would at least float it. The Bradbury one's interesting because he's um, he's making a lot of money. He's heading into the last year of his contract. I do think you just – if the Giants, you're not thinking about 2022, you're thinking about the future, I would get what I could for Bradbury. That value, uh, potentially high for cornerback needy teams – and then what I did in my mock draft was gave the Giants Derek Stingley the corner out of LSU, um, or if you or an Ahmad Gardner. I mean, I would I would look at I think if they came away with Ikiakwanu from NC State, 
say at five, uh, and Ahmad Gardner or uh, or Derek Stingley at seven. No, you're 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 helping the tackle position, so you have a right tackle opposite Andrew Thomas, and a, a corner to pair with Dory Jackson over the next couple of years and getting younger at that position. I think that would be a home run for the Giants with those two picks. Yeah, I think they're in a good position because you're going to get a position of need and an offensive lineman, I would suggest. Um, and if you end up, double up doubling up on offensive line, I think that's good too. Um, but they might be they'd be a good spot for a corner, as you mentioned. They'd also be a good spot if um, Kayvon Thibodeau slides, which sounds yeah. more and more likely as the draft approaches. They, I think, would be a good team to halt the slide of a Kayvon Thibodeau and get him who on tape is right up there with Aiden Hutchinson in terms of what he can do. Maybe a step behind, you know, less of a good run defender, but he's right there as a pass rusher. I think that would be a great pick for the Giants. And then the question is, you know, which of the offensive linemen are you going to snag with the other pick? And, you know, one of those, we, we have those three guys, Charles Cross from Mississippi State, Icky Aquano from NC State, and Evan Neal of Alabama. Those are the top three. And we have them five, six, seven on our big board right now. Um, I would say one of those guys almost certainly is going to be available when they pick. So if you love all three of those guys, I think they would be a, a great spot to grab one of those and, and immediately upgrade a spot in your offensive line. And that's why – so I think they'll come away with a tackle, uh, like you're saying, which means, uh, look, I think all the interior spots on the offensive line are issues. Will Hernandez, officially a free agent. Uh, Shane Lemieux – and Nick Gates have both the, the last regime kind of liked both guys, but you know by our numbers have not been great. I mean, I think all three spots can have new starters there this year, and so that puts the Giants in the market for guys we've mentioned before, the Austin Corbett's of the world, a guard, Ben Jones. I think would be a good starting center, the former Titan, James Daniels, uh, only 24 years old from the Bears, best football probably ahead of him. He's number 40 on our free agent board to potentially play guard. Connor Williams, former Cowboy. I think all of those guys should be in play as far as starters. And now all of a sudden you're looking at, hey, you grab a starter or two in free agency. Could be Bradley Bozeman in there as well. A starter or two in free agency, a starter in the draft, and four-fifths of your offensive line when you include Andrew Thomas at left tackle. You're feeling good about that bunch. That's night and day compared to where the Giants have been in recent years. The the spot that they're in as well, that five to seven range in the first round, I think is also prime territory for trading back. Um, sure. Yeah. This is a draft where a lot of people think nobody feels like they belong in the top three picks, but everybody feels like they belong from five to 15. You know what I mean? And you might actually end up, if you're the Giants, being in this position where maybe instead of halting the slide of a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, you take that as an opportunity to trade back and pick up maybe another first round pick or a first round next year or whatever it is. And you end up, you know, letting Thibodeau go but drafting the corner you want or the edge rusher you want. And then in the middle of the first round, instead of uh, five or seven, maybe that's where instead of that top trio of tackles, you could draft uh, a Bernard Ryman or, um, you know, Trevor Penning or one of the interior guys like Linderbaum, if he slips further in that first round or, you know, the, the top guard off the board, whoever that is, whether it's Zion Johnson from Boston College, like you, you end up in a position where you can still snag an offensive lineman in the first, but you've been able to add to the draft capital by trading down. Oh, you, you're speaking my language now, Sam. You've got enough. Uh, it, it's not even that the Giants have massive holes across the roster. I think they've got, you know, some decent pieces there, but 
the forward-looking approach, right? Dexter Lawrence on the defensive line is in the last year of his deal. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot that needs to happen here to just look forward, right? So as far as the Giants go, give me more draft picks. I'm all about it. And I, look, I think I, I don't think it's beyond the wit of man, as uh, like Neil would like to say, to mm. fix an offensive line in an offseason. We've right? seen it. I mean, last year. We've seen it. Uh, but we've also seen teams try and pick like the absolute worst players. Right. We've seen teams pick, you know, not that our not that our free agent board is perfect, but when you're picking people that are like 170th on our free agent board on the first day of free agency, I'm not going to name names here. It doesn't tend to work. It tends to become a multi-year issue. Okay, and uh, we'll fix that team later. So the Giants can do this. You know, go get go get a starting center or guard in free agency, draft, trade down, like you're saying. There are ways to do it if they can solidify the offensive line. Really an intriguing offense. I don't know what the expectations are going to be for Kenny Galladay with the new with the new regime. You got to get something out of him at eighteen million dollars a year. Go ahead, sorry. Expectation number one is next year to score more touchdowns than the left tackle. Okay, that's a good starting point. Next year, um, is there a place? Can we get DraftKings on the line here? Is there a place to uh, throw some money on that? Andrew Thomas touchdowns versus Kenny Galladay touchdowns next year. Is Thomas the favorite because it just happened? No, I wouldn't have thought so. I know, I know. That's if not it helpful. is, that's an edge to be picked up on the uh, the odds. You're uh, you're quite the sharp there, Sam. Thanks. But Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, when healthy. Looked like a potential star. I mean, he looked yeah. – I liked him coming out. I think you liked him. But, man, I wasn't – he moves different for an NFL player. He's got a little of that moves different even on the NFL football field, um, which is intriguing and great. Uh, Sterling Shepard, uh, they'll lose Evan Ingram at tight end, so certainly a, a place that they need to take a look there. That could be a, a day-two type of pick for the Giants as well. But um, – some pieces to build around on the offense. And if Saquon Barkley is healthy, at least for next year, seeing what he can do there, um, they could be an explosive offense. Yeah, the only concern I have with the Kadarius Tony thing is now you're asking a second coaching staff in a row to know what to do with him, which is, it's tricky, right? I mean, our comp for him when he was drafted was Dante Hall, but big, you know, six foot plus Dante Hall. Like that's how he moves, which is unique. And I think the league didn't know what to do with Dante Hall the human joystick was his nickname. The league didn't know what to do with him back in the day. And they're better now at understanding players and how to get a weird skill set guy and put him in a position to succeed. But it still happens that you get a guy like that. It still requires that process, right, of having a person that doesn't fit into the neat cookie-cutter positions we have and making him into something special. So Kadarius Tony has a special skill set but it isn't a conventional one. And now you need a coaching staff to come in, a new one, and want to do that for him and say, this guy is special. Let's figure out a way of making sure he works in this offense. Yeah, I mean, he, and he, he can just develop as a really good slot receiver. Gimmick stuff plus developing his receiver skills. There's a lot to do there. Um, as far as quarterback, I'll, I'll punt till next year. Uh, I like the idea of, of bringing Trubisky in at the right price, right? Uh, so I like the idea of doing that year one with an eye toward building the roster for the future offensively for the next quarterback. I think we've given some options along the offensive line. Defensively, um, Dexter Lawrence, technically, he'll have two years, right? He was a first-round pick, so he'll, 
He'll have two more years if they pick up their fifth-year option. They're pretty stout up front with Dexter Lawrence, their investment in Leonard Williams. But there's a lot of money locked up in Blake Martinez, Logan Ryan, Adoree Jackson, and James Bradbury. Those are the four guys that are all over $10 million per year APY. And I think if you're talking about just the future of the Giants, probably not spending that kind of money on Blake Martinez going forward. I mentioned putting Bradbury, you know, uh, believing in that move to put him on the trading block. Logan Ryan getting a little bit older. You know, if there's a way to, to move on there, I think you could free up a lot of money in the future as well to just get a little younger at the right spots defensively here. But um, on paper, it's not a bad group for 2022. But I'm looking, much like we talked about the Texans, I'm looking for signings that are going to help me in 23, 24, and beyond. Yeah, and my my there's a lot of work that needs to be done overall for the Giants to become a very good team, but I would be prioritizing offense and particularly that offensive line if I was fixing this team to start with because I want to find out what the deal is with Daniel Jones and maybe Trubisky as well. I want to put a good situation around that guy or those guys and at least have an idea about what I'm doing. And if if the answer is that neither of those guys is the the quarterback that leads you anywhere, you've already set up a situation that's good enough for a rookie to come in there next year and be good. So that would be my priority. And if it takes a couple of years for the defense to come good, fine. Like that's a price well worth paying to have a better understanding of the quarterback position. Kind of like, you know, the, the Detroit lions are doing this the other way, right? They've, they're putting a defense and then putting a, the trenches good and getting everything set before they get the quarterback. If I'm the giants, I want to make sure that offense is viable I think it could be pretty good in a hurry next year if they do hit a couple of things uh, well. And then that enables you to have the the correct determination or the best evaluation about the quarterback. Uh, as far as the other the other pieces on defense, I, you know, we, we went through a few scenarios in the first round where I mentioned Derek Stingley, certainly a tackle being involved there. You mentioned trading down and, and getting tackles later, whatever it might be. I think edge defender could be good value top of the second round. It's a deep group. We already mentioned how there's 12 in our top 60. DeMarvin Leal from uh, Texas A&M. Kingsley Enigbare from South Carolina. I mean, there are players there in our draft board in the 30s and 40s that will make sense, maybe top of the second for the Giants. So if you're talking about they come away from the draft with a tackle, maybe another offensive lineman, maybe a Derek Stingley if they do it my, my way, come back with an edge there. I think they're they're hitting needs, matching them with value. I think that's kind of how the draft could flow and in a way that would make sense for the Giants. It seems like edge rusher has been an issue for them for years, right? We, it's repeating ourselves every single year, probably since right. Lawrence Taylor. No, since, their, since the Super Bowl runs, really, with you know JPP and Strahan and uh, Kiwanuka and Osu Minura, all those guys. Hasn't been a great group of edge rushers in New York. Aziz Ojolari, a second rounder last year, and I think they could, you know, get him some help and, and maybe reshape that position as well. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't chase edge rusher in the first round unless like if Kayvon Thibodeau starts to slide and you really like him, that's a guy I would consider picking. And even then you might be better off turning that into, you know, another draft pick by trading down the way we talked about. So the 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 value area for edge rusher for the Giants is likely better in the second round, as you talked about, rather than at the top of the first somewhere. Um, unless, you know, they're absolutely in love with Thibodeau. All right. So, yeah, I mean, if they do get Thibodeau up high, I wouldn't hate that either. So, Giants fixed, man. I think we've got uh, an offensive line plan. We're going to use Kadarius Toney better. 
and we're gonna we're gonna grab an edge at the, at the right spot. And and again, I think the big one is you float Barkley anyway. We'll see what the return is. You floated James Bradbury, uh, Logan Ryan, Blake Martinez, all of the guys that um, are making some money on this team and start start building pieces toward toward the future here in New York. What just happened for the Colts in Washington? Because <laughs> we're getting breaking news. Austin needs to know what this means. I'm going to say, what is this? Yeah, that's perfect. Just drop the drop the uh, reaction without the news. Well, people just assume that we're scouring Twitter. What breaking news just happened? Somebody tell me. Breaking news. The Colts are trading Carson Wentz to Washington for a package of draft picks that's thought to include two third-round third round picks, sources tell ESPN. All right, so here we go. Well, I'm not watching Schefter's Twitter feed, guys. I don't know what's happening right here. Um, Washington's coming up soon. We're gonna fix the we're gonna fix the commanders. This is good. I'm glad this happened before we fixed them and said, "Hey, that's true." Yeah. What are you gonna do at quarterback? Um, all right. Before we get, wait, let's go. Well, do you want to stay in order, or do you want to jump right to the Washington? Uh, well, let's jump. Let's, let's go. All right. But first, I want to tell you about our friends. First, tell you about our friends over at All Twenty Two, unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. All Twenty Two uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and test your ability to build a full 53-man roster. That includes the offensive line. If you've ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out All 22. And here's how you do it. You can join the wait list at All 22. I'm sorry, all-22.com. All-22.com. Just put in your email. It's pretty simple. If you join the wait list before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your All 22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium contents like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow all 22 underscore PFF on Twitter, all 22 underscore PFF. They're on Twitter. And uh, again, I've mentioned these guys before. They're doing a great job making PFF grades come to life in a fantasy football world. But as all 22 reminds us, it's actually less fantasy, more football when you play this game. So join over at all-22.com right now with your email. All right, let's handle this breaking news Carson Wentz has been traded from the Indianapolis Colts to the Washington Commanders. Washington obviously uh, apparently had a really I mean this is how it's this is how it goes every year, right? Uh is this the second straight year Carson Wentz has been like the uh the afterthought for a team? The Colts were looking at Stafford, right? The Colts wanted Stafford. The Colts wanted uh were in on all the big names last year. They ended up getting Wentz. Washington had a huge offer out for Russell Wilson. They lost out in that sweepstakes because the Seahawks wanted to send him to the AFC, so they send Russ to the Broncos. And now the commanders say, okay, I guess next next plan is Carson Wentz. So they're going Carson Wentz to Washington. Yeah, as somebody was pointing out on Twitter, I think potentially a more likely scenario is that Russell Wilson didn't want to go to Washington and Russell Wilson had a no-trade clause, so he would have to wave for him to get secure you know for any particular trade to be secured so the likelihood of seattle turning down a significantly better trade just to get him out of the nfc to me feels less likely than russell wilson didn't want to go to washington therefore that trade quickly evaporated um either way it's irrelevant from washington's point of view the point is they didn't get russell wilson so they are back they were back in that boat of last year which is 
where's the quarterback coming from? And unlike last year, they decided to panic more <laughs> and, and trade for Carson Wentz, who, look, Carson Wentz, the, the team that traded for him last year, like the the Colts are just through. They haven't even paid yet the first round pick, right? We haven't had the draft where the first rounder that they 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 gave up for getting Carson Wentz um, exists. So they're already packing it in. They're already getting rid of him. It's a sunk cost. They're they're trying to move on from the mistake they made. That's how bad Wentz was at his worst, or how catastrophic the move was for Indianapolis who are immediately right back in the, we don't have a quarterback either bucket. So it's tough to look at this too favorably from Washington's point of view. All right, here's the deal. Washington has to do a better job than the Colts at building around Carson Wentz. And, what and does the that Col- look like? I, I'm going I'm to tell you what it looks like. Last year, it looked like the Colts had the offensive line in place, but boy, did... Things went sour there, right? Left tackle was a massive issue because Eric Fisher was hurt. His replacement was Julianne Davenport. They had injuries up front at center. Uh, Quentin Nelson didn't have his best year. So last year, the Colts end up with a number 23 pass blocking grade. That's only the second time in Carson Wentz's career he has had a pass, blo- a pass blocking unit in front of him that didn't rank in the top 10, right? One year with the, the last two years, really. Washington actually ranked fourth last year. In pass blocking grade. Doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be right back in that spot this year. They lose Brandon Scherf right now in free agency, potentially. Um, but there's four starters returning, including Charles Leno, Eric Flowers, Chase Rollier, Samuel Cosme. Offensive line looks pretty good up front, okay? So that's always your starting point with, with Carson Wentz, right? Every quarterback wants to have at least a decent offensive line. Wentz is just... He's always had a good line, and I will repeat for the thousandth time, the one MVP caliber season that he had, the one year where it all seemed to come together, his receivers were outstanding. And the Colts did not do enough. It was only one year, again, but it's not like the Colts surrounded Wentz with the best group of receivers. Let's also not forget, the Colts were like fourth or fifth, I forget where they ended up, but in just scoring offense, for whatever that's worth, the Colts put points on the board. Carson Wentz being their quarterback, Jonathan Taylor had a big season, all that stuff. I don't know why you're smirking, but... Did you see Dano's tweet? Oh, here we go. This is... Uh, ready? here we go. This is a great move. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fake quote Dano and see if I'm right. This is a great okay. move for the Washington Commanders. Carson Wentz is still a top 10 caliber quarterback, maybe even top five, with the right coaching, with the right system. If you can unlock the best of Carson Wentz, Washington is a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, he hasn't actually reacted to the trade oh, okay. yet, but I imagine that's a lot like what he will be saying. What he was specifically saying, um, he, had a, he had a segment on the Colts and Carson Wentz, which I'll be honest, I haven't watched. But he tweeted, quote tweeted that and said, moving on from a player that was statistically top five from weeks four to 16 uh, has more to do with just performance. Now, number one. What? What do you suppose happened after week 16? Uh, number two. Which statistics exactly was he top five in during that period? Because it's not most of the normal ones, right? Yards per attempt, he was like 17th. Uh, adjusted completion rate, he was somewhere down the bottom. PFF grade, he was terrible. There's not a lot of stats that will show him top five, even QBR. from that very specific period of time. Uh, if you take yeah. out, listen, if you take out 
Carson Wentz's Week 18 collapse in Jacksonville with the playoffs on the line in the biggest game of the season. If you take that out, it's not bad. Mm. We do a lot of take that out stuff. Let's not hate Dano for Sure, but it's, it's usually sampling. like, you know, if you take out one stinking game in the rain, not if right. you're like, Put the cutoff right here and right there and look at just this. If the and by season the way, when we only do that, existed between weeks four and 16. Yeah. And, and when we do that, the numbers that we then talk about are actually relevant. Like they connect to reality as opposed to, well, if you take out, if you use just a specific uh, cutoff point and then make up numbers that don't exist. Uh, so look. what is Washington giving up here? What do they have left in draft capital? What do they have left? What do they give up here? They, they gave give up, up a pair first, of thirds, it said, or said to include a pair of thirds, something like that. I, I'm okay. See, see, here's the thing. Carson Wentz, for a first-rounder, is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Carson Wentz, for a couple threes, that's well worth it, isn't it? They're, they're going to pay his full $28 million. I'm seeing that. But $28 million at quarterback's not, not atrocious. Okay, so hang on. Because, all right. Let me present you with option A or option B, right? Sure. Option A, Carson Wentz, you're down two third-round picks, and you're paying $28 million. Option B, Jameis Winston, and it costs you nothing, like peanuts. Jameis Winston will sign for your team for like $17 and all the Twizzlers he can eat and access to the gym because he can do his weird workouts. Yeah, I mean, like, I that's take, what it'll cost to get Jameis. And I'd the take play Jameis might the be the same. I take Jameis and the Twizzlers. Right, exactly. So don't give me this. That's not that bad. That's terrible. Carson Wentz is not good anymore. It's not not good anymore. You're you're overreacting. Really? He was How much better than was he was he in 2020. Year? He was better than he was in 20 when he was the worst quarterback in the league. <laughs> But here's how you're going to – this is what you have to do, Washington Commanders. It's what you have to do. You got pick number 11. You're picking a receiver. I I honestly don't care who it is. But if it's Drake London, I like that with Wentz. I like the big-bodied receiver with Carson Wentz to go with Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel, who are still there. Players with a better PFF grade than Carson Wentz last season include Teddy Bridgewater – Jameis, yeah. uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah. Daniel Jones. You're talking uh, about stars. Here. You're talking about some stars. Jalen Hurts, Jacoby Brissett. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not a good group of people that Brissett are ahead got of, lucky um, for a little period of time. Also, uh, just ahead of he did have however just great ahead of Tua. So there's that going for him. Hold on, I need to tweet out that we're doing this right now. We're live breaking down Carson Wentz right now. Yeah, um, I don't. Look, I think that speaks to desperation for Washington more than it does, you know, a calculated risk that's worth taking. I mean, there is upside to Carson Wentz. I'm not going to claim like there's zero chance that he can be good. I'm just saying that for what it costs you to take to get him, which is salary cap contract and two third round picks. I just don't I don't see the the gain over that versus a Jameis Winston, which isn't going to cost any of those things. It's just a move. It's a knee jerk move based off not being not a not being able to get one last year and b not being able to get Russell Wilson or whatever this year. The Commanders have no. one of the best cap situations in the NFL. I'm just saying they can handle this, right? But now to make it work, you have to be obno- this is just look, I, I sometimes I sound like I feel like I'm playing fantasy football and just overrating skill positions or receiver and tight end in particular 
overrating corners. But but I'm just looking at the history here. Every quarterback benefits from better receivers. Very specifically, Carson Wentz has been so much better when his group of receivers is good. That's it. His group, it, it has to be better. If you get Drake London at 11, McLaurin's already one of the league's best. This is, this is going to be – McLaurin's got his best opportunity to produce here in his career because Wentz, if you keep him aggressive enough, should be able to like, at least give him opportunities down the field. Not Dwayne Haskins and Case Keenum and uh, Taylor Heineke. You're gonna have, you have the best opportunity to get the most out of Terry McLaurin. You get Drake London, and you, gotta, and you get another big receiver. you got to get another playmaker at receiver, and I'd go another playmaker, playmaker at tight end. I'm going to be obnoxious about giving – you always say, give Baker Mayfield no excuses. Give Tua – give these QBs no excuses. Give Carson Wentz no excuses to not produce this year by surrounding him with three more legitimate playmakers between receiver and tight end. And I think, it's, I think Drake London might be the best fit there. I mean, I don't really care. It could be Garrett Wilson. I like all those guys. But give him someone else. I'd start with the big-bodied receiver because I think Wentz works well with those guys like Alshon Jeffrey a few years back. Yeah, I mean, the bottom game. line is it's not even that, hey, you, you maximize the chances Carson Wentz is good when you start adding receivers like that. It's more he's only been good when he's had a good group of receivers to throw to. Like that's the situation that we're dealing with right now with Wentz is that the only good seasons he's had have been when his receiving core has been really good. And if you don't have one of those, you might as well forget it right now. So if we go Drake London in the draft, is there another? See, this is where like Cedric Wilson, if, if, if Cedric Wilson is your three now. So if you can get Cedric Wilson for two years, 6.25 million as Brad projected and Wilson, and I know I have Wilson and McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Drake London. All right. Now we're cooking. Now Wentz, if he has decent pass protection, if Washington blocks well up front again, now they can move the ball and do something. Probably have to draft a tight end. I don't know that there's a, a game changer in free agency that's going to do anything there. You have Logan Thomas. You have Logan Thomas at tight end as well. Probably not something you're even going to need to address, to be honest, or find anything better there. So there we go. Okay. Is there another Cedric Wilson-type receiver? That would make sense. Looking yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of options. I know there's a lot of options. I'm just if looking digging for... around the mid grain. I mean, guys like Christian Kirk, I think would be and would be a good addition to this offense. Is this where Valdez Scantling goes? <laughs> I already had the article PFF.com this week that Valdez Scantling might be making a little bit more than people expected. We're expecting two years, ten million dollars a year. Maybe that's not the right play then for Washington. Is there another receiver you'd like in the draft over Drake London for the Commanders at 11? Not at 11. I mean, I think Drake London would be the guy I would pick if I was if I, if I, in that scenario. Rashard Higgins. Rashard Higgins is the four. Always. There. All right. So we're fixing the Commanders here. And by fixing them, it's create an obnoxiously good roster around Carson Wentz that it's, it's your only chance to get something close to 2017 Wentz. That's your goal. Because you don't want mid-tier play from Wentz. you got to get upper mid-tier to high-end play from Wentz to maximize this whole thing. Look at the NFC. Wentz is like the third best QB in the NFC, man. No, no, he's no, not. No, he's not. But, I mean, look, the NFC, not as good. He might be the third best quarterback in that division now. With Dak and Hurts. Yeah. And Daniel Jones, he still could be four. Yeah. I mean, he's I know. fourth. I said, that's why I said might. 
He's fourth by grade last year. Okay, so uh, what else are we doing here for the, for the commanders? Defensively, as far as starters go, they're only losing John Bostic, Bobby McCain at safety. Uh, they did underachieve greatly defensively. So all of our takes last year were, hey, they're going to regress defensively. Should we flip those on their side? Because they, like William Jackson had a 59 grade last year. And the reason why we liked him at corner at free agency wasn't because he was a slam dunk. It was because at some point in his career, various points, he looked like a true number one awesome outside corner. Um, he had been inconsistent. But man, not a great year last year for William Jackson, particularly at that price. Landon Collins didn't have a great year. Should we expect those guys to get better and all of a sudden Washington could get that defense back on track because they still have that really good defensive line? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would do is make sure that I'm not – I don't create a problem at right guard. So, okay, if you're going to let Brandon Scherf walk and test the market, that's fine. That I don't hate that as a concept. He's probably going to make a ton of money, um, and I, I, I get you not wanting to pay that if you're Washington. You can't afford to, so maybe you bring him back. But if you're going to go from – Brandon Sheriff to somebody new, I would at least make sure you're not uh, necessitating drafting a guy who's going to start day one. So they're another team that needs to snag one of these uh, guards in free agency, of which there's quite a lot of them. Just guys to guarantee you're not going to be a disaster, whether it's Alex Kappa, whether it's Ode Abushi. Um, there are guys out there that you can bring in as starters and draft somebody as well, right? Draft the guard in the second or third round, fine, but just don't don't put yourself in a situation where that guy needs to come in and start day one and not be terrible because you don't want that weak link. If Carson Wentz is your quarterback, you're saying the same thing. I'm there. No holes on the offense. You can't have it. It's got to be perfect, right? It's got to be perfect. Defensively. Uh, again, you know, with Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne. I mean, they're, they're loaded as far as the defensive line goes. They're looking good. You probably just add some youth there just for when those guys get too expensive or you just can't keep all of them. Uh, linebacker's still an issue. Jamin Davis was their first-round pick last year. Was okay, you know, was average or so, below average against, you know, other linebackers around the NFL. So linebacker definitely needs to be addressed. Um, I definitely think at 11 in the draft, I'm reiterating, I'm looking playmaker there for the commanders. And then uh, beyond that, I think, you know, linebackers probably got to be in play uh, in the rest of the draft. I don't know how much they need to attack linebacker. I thought uh, Cole Holcomb played pretty well last year. Um, and then Jamin Davis, A, they're not going to give up on him because it's year one. B, sure. you could see there's a good player there that's going to take a little bit of time to get there. Like his athleticism shows up on tape, his speed. Once he reads the play, he gets there as quick as anybody in the NFL. His problem is like you can see, you can almost like see the cog spinning every single time you watch him play. It, there's just the, like, it just takes him a little bit of time to read what he's looking at, the process, and then to go. Um, and a lot of that kind of gets him. It leads him to being a little bit behind the play and putting himself in positions where he gets blocked by offensive linemen, right? Because that's his other area that he struggles with. But we know that playing linebacker in today's NFL is just this nightmare situation. So I think at a minimum, he plays year two and you expect him to take a significant jump forward. And if he doesn't, if he comes out of next season with a grade in the 40s, then I think linebacker's a problem. But I don't think it's a situation where you're gonna, even going to be challenging him, let alone replacing him this year. Where else are we looking in the draft? I mean, Honestly, I think you, you hit it. It's just depth. They're, yeah. they're in a, it's a decent roster. I mean, this is, is why we said last year that they didn't need to do anything crazy with quarterback. They could bring in a Fitzpatrick 
if Fitzpatrick gave you average quarterback play, this was a team we expected to be challenging for the playoffs and, and make some noise. And it didn't work out that way. The defense regressed hard. Um, Fitzpatrick got hurt and you didn't see the same level of play from Heineke. But this is a good team. If they make sure they get a guard, you know, a starting caliber guy, one of those free agents, if they bring in a Drake London at, at the top of the draft and then they just start picking up depth players for the rest of it, they're in a good spot. All right, Washington's fixed. Add all the playmakers. Add all the playmakers and a starting guard and more offensive line depth so that last year, like, like what happened to the Colts last year, didn't happen. Add all the players on the offensive side of the ball for the commanders. Then it'll be okay. All right, let's fix the Eagles now. What are we doing with the Eagles? Building around Hurts. Using those three first-rounders around Jalen. I think that's the play. As a starting point, what can they add? Where can the Eagles get this roster next year? I thought a year ago at this time they were rebuilding, but I also thought if Hurts emerged and they relied on the run game, which they finally did by week five or six, they could be that borderline playoff team. That, you know, One prediction would kind of hit on um, because I put a lot of what-ifs there, so if you put what-ifs, you'll hit on it. Uh, but they, you know, do the Eagles look at this and say, we were a fringe playoff team, we're a few players away? Still thinking long-term, rebuild here. Where, where, do you, where are you looking at the Eagles right now? Yeah, I mean, so step one is, are we rolling with Jalen Hurts? Because they're the team that has the ammunition to make crazy trades happen. And they don't appear to have been involved in the Aaron Rodgers thing or the Russell Wilson thing. Um, the Sean Watson sh- thing, they are. Right, maybe. Who knows, right? But they, the two that have happened so far, they don't appear to have been active participants or big players in. So are we... If we're rolling with Jalen Hurts as QB, we now have those three first-round picks to play with in terms of adding players around him, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I like I like Hurts. While, uh, while he's on a rookie contract, I think there's a, there's a playoff-caliber team to be built. They were just in the playoffs. They were the seven seed. They didn't really have a shot when they got there. But you have a chance to get this roster that much better. I think there's D-line depth that's needed. Um, they've always had a great pass rush. Most of their most of the players they're losing are on the defensive side of the ball. I know they've drafted a receiver in the first round each of the last two years. It's another play. It's it's still not a strength. And while it's not a strength, the receiver needs to be addressed. Um, and then again, you figure out, you know, if we're building this thing around Hertz, you know, do we want to have a more explosive run game? Are we going to get? Uh, look, the Ravens. The Ravens felt like they run the ball so much that even a smart team like them was drafting an explosive running back in the second round in J.K. Dobbins. Are the Eagles of that mind? Get you know We're going to put our running backs in such good positions because of our offensive line, because of the run threat of Jalen Hurts. We need an explosive back, another explo- you know, to, to go with Miles Sanders there. So I think answering some of those questions, if you're the Eagles, a couple you know, big-time playmakers on offense, and you got to really reshape that entire defense. Well, they're losing the great Boston Scott, so obviously you've got to yeah. do something to patch up that, that glaring hole in the backfield. Um, I mean, the other thing about the Eagles is, look, they've invested a lot of wide receiver in recent years. Obviously, first-rounders and Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager. Rager hasn't worked out at all, and you probably can't rely on him being a significant part of the offense right now. So Devontae Smith looks pretty good, but is a guy that potentially has some holes in his game in terms of the, he's 166 pounds, right? And as much as that didn't well, wasn't a problem at Alabama, he could do everything – It might not be a huge problem in the NFL, but you can see plays where it's an issue. And at the very minimum, you probably want to find a receiver that 
fits that uh, the fits the missing part of that game, right? The the physicality, the size, the just the imposing strength that Devontae Smith doesn't have. And by the way, neither does anybody else in that receiving group, right? Jalen Rager has been disappointing. Quez Watkins is a smaller type of receiver as well. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside should have that, but doesn't appear to. So that, I think, is the thing that you're missing. And they would be another great landing spot for Drake London. Like, if he's there when they pick, um, which he isn't in this scenario, that would be a great spot for them. I like either of the Ohio State guys there, Alave, Chris Alave, Garrett Wilson. You know, both, again, they both ran sub 4-4. Um, similar to what I've said with the Ravens, you know, I, I, I don't hate London here. I'm leaning speed, though, right? If you're going to build this offense around the run game and play action, much like I tell, say, hey, the Ravens should get as many Marquise Browns as possible because you want that vertical and horizontal stretch coming off of play action, give me the speed, guys. So I think, honestly, they could double up a receiver. And maybe Jalen Rager becomes a useful number four, you know, with his explosiveness that still exists. He's just a he's just an inconsistent receiver. Take a little pressure off him and uh, flood the field with speed here. If you're the Eagles, I keep looking at some of the high upside players too. They have picks 15, 16, and 19. Uh, yeah. David Ajabu from Michigan, a guy who hasn't played a ton of football, but again, if he grows into his skill set, could be a huge home run in two years. Uh, I think the Eagles have a chance to try to hit some of those home runs. If Derek Stingley falls for whatever reason, they should be one of the teams that pounces on Derek Stingley, even if he's not a perfect fit for their zone heavy scheme because he's such a good man corner. I would, I think some of those, those quote unquote high upside plays with those first round picks makes sense. Yeah. Honestly, I'd be fine with them going defense with all three of those first round picks yeah. and potentially in the second round is where you could get a wide receiver and a guy. I mean, I like the players you talked about, but I would be specifically focusing on size and some strength if I was the Eagles. And in the second round, I think there'd be a bunch of second or third round. There'd be guys like that available, whether it's Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, George Pickens from Georgia, Justin Ross from Clemson. Like there are some sizable players that you could potentially snag in the second round if you spent all your first round picks on defense, which I don't think would be a bad idea. Yeah, both starting safeties are out, Rodney McLeod and Anthony Harris. So safety needs to be addressed at some point. Kirby Joseph, a PFF favorite out of Illinois, could be somebody to take a look at if he's around second round as well. Um, honestly, they could go all defense early on. Uh, there's there's a lot that needs to happen there as Derek Barnett hits free agency and a lot of players hit free agency in the back seven. So, um as far as free agency goes for the Eagles, any uh, Steven Nelson uh, leaving at corner, so they do need a starter there opposite Darius Slay. Uh, Darius Williams could be intriguing, former Ram. Again, zone-heavy scheme with the Rams. Nobody plays more zone than the Eagles. I think Williams could be, could be a decent starter for them, and that potentially opens up. Maybe they don't have to take a corner in round one, and it's all front seven players in that defensive mix that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think in free agency, you just want to start ticking off some bodies, right? The problem with the – you look at their defense and you're saying you could go defense with any of the first three picks, with all the first three picks, um, because there's so many holes, right? They're, even the, the players that are still there are guys that are getting to the end of their time. Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, the two most important players to that defensive line over the past few years are clearly on the decline – so even outside of replacing guys like Derek Barnett and the linebackers, you need to future-proof that defensive line from the likes of Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox moving on. So I think they just need to identify some guys that they like in free agency and try and sign a couple of them to just make sure they're not 
relying on every single one of those draft picks hitting because we know that's unlikely. So maybe they become a landing spot for a Hassan Reddick or, you know, just somebody that can come in and guarantee some defensive pressure up front um, and then, you know, be able to add supplement it with the draft. Uh, interior defensive line, maybe Sebastian Joseph Day. You've mentioned him for a couple different teams too. 85 on our draft board. Could be a nice fit there as they think about life after Fletcher Cox potentially soon. Fletcher Cox making a ton of money. Javon Hargrave next to him. Uh, Joseph Day could add some good depth there and then be a good you know uh, play for the future. Uh, but there's not, <clears throat> there's, a not lo- there's not a lot locked up on the defensive side of the ball either this year or next year. So that's where a lot of their resources have to go in Philadelphia. But I like that plan. I like a lot of the plans we've put together there, the potential good. options. But you've got this game-changing potential draft with three first-rounders for the Eagles. And if it's all on the defensive side of the ball, I'm with you, man. That can, that can happen. And then get speed at receiver. All right, we fixed the Eagles? Sure. You don't think so? You don't sound confident. You don't sound confident. On to the NFC South. How are these shows always so long? I think that's just us. It is. I wish you were here. I wish you were with me here. It's easier. Atlanta Falcons. How are we going to fix the Falcons? Finding that next. Uh, There's rumors they might draft a quarterback right there at eight. Yeah. Maybe right at eight to uh, sit behind Matt Ryan. I mean, is that the most important thing for the Falcons here is figure out life after Matt Ryan? Because you made it, you made it so life after Matt Ryan can't start now. You're stuck with him this year. Um, and stuck with him, I use that in, in kind terms. He's not bad. But he's not the future in Atlanta, presumably. And you want to get to the future at some point. So is that the best play for the Falcons? Oh, no, they're stuck with him. Um, interestingly, though, at the, the podiums of the, uh, the, the Combine, uh, Arthur Smith was saying he kind of left the door open for the idea. Look, if somebody comes along with a trade offer we can't turn down, we won't turn it down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. So, and at this point, you're relying on, you know, kind of like last year where it feels like the quarterbacks and teams needing a quarterback is a little bit like musical chairs. And eventually the music is going to stop playing. And one of these teams is going to be sitting here with no quarterback. Like that, nobody wants to be that team. And that's why the Indianapolis Colts traded for Carson Wentz a year ago. It's why Washington has traded for Carson Wentz this year. It's why somebody is probably going to jump on Jimmy Garoppolo fairly soon because you just don't want to be that one team where the music stopped playing and you have, you know, whatever. Like you have whoever, you have Drew Locke, right? You don't want to be the team where the music stops playing and you have Drew Locke as your starter. That's the situation that's unfolding right now. So maybe there's a window for the Falcons to get rid of Matt Ryan and make a deal with somebody like Indianapolis, who suddenly has a ton of money available to them in cap space. Um, or, I mean, Caroline is unlikely, right? Because it's within the division. And even though you kind of want to get rid of him, you still don't really want to have the chance that Matt Ryan has one more year left in him and can blowtorch you next year. But there is a window where they can potentially get rid of him. It is interesting. The Colts are an interesting one you just brought up, right? Because, look, I think Matt Ryan, a career in a dome. He, uh, arm looks a little iffy every time he goes outdoors. Keeping him in a dome situation probably makes sense. But at the same time, the Colts don't have a first-round pick this year because of Carson Wentz. Are they going to be willing to give up another future first-rounder for Matt Ryan? Or if you're the Falcons, are you itching to get – away from Matt Ryan to get to the next guy because they push so much cap money 
into the next two years. Matt Ryan's cap number is over $48 million this year and $43 million next year. And the dead money is absurd. Yeah. Cut or trade. So there's got to be some creative accounting here, including, you know, Indianapolis taking a lot of money and figuring out enough draft capital to make it worth it for the Falcons. But that's the thing. Like, because, because the contract is so problematic at this point, to what extent is simply removing it from the books? You know, like, if we get a trade offer, we can't refuse, right? Was, was the term he kept using, Godfather style. But, like, what is that now, right? Is that because if you're talking about a Russell Wilson trade offer, you can't refuse. That's multiple first round picks and everything that Denver just gave up. If you're Atlanta, like how much is an offer you can't refuse? Just like giving you the lifeline to get rid of the guy whose contract is dragging your cap down right now. Okay. It's still going to be painful this year with the dead cap money and those kinds of things, but simply being free of Matt Ryan's contract in future might be an offer. They can't refuse almost regardless of what's attached to it. So I'm not saying they give him away for nothing, but that the package to secure Matt Ryan might actually be a lot less than than you think it is, you know, because of how problematic that contract is for them. Yeah, I was just double checking with Brad. I mean, they're they're essentially on the hook for forty million dollars in dead money if they trade him. Yeah, I mean that was just a really bad move last year. Sure, that was really bad, Falcons. How are we going to fix you now? All right. I would I would look at I would look at quarterback probably in round two, if I'm the Falcons. Round uh, two at forty. I mean, would you take somebody at eight? Who are you taking at eight? I, I mean, I don't want to take any of them at eight. I don't want to take any of them in the second round either. Desmond Ritter is the guy that I keep coming around to. I think if he's available between twenty five and forty, where the Falcons Falcons pick at forty, I don't know if he is or not. But I would I would take Desmond Ritter in that range, late first he, and into the second. He, he changed. So he was a guy where going into the draft, and I talked to Seth about this um, during combine week, like he felt like he was a sort of, a, you know, a B across the board at everything. Um, B arm, B processing, B accuracy, B athleticism, blah, blah, blah. But then he shows up at the combine and his workout was not B. Like his workout was A, A plus. His workout was fantastic. So does that, sort of change your perception on a guy like Desmond Ritter, where you're looking at him on tape and you're like, he's just kind of pretty good at everything. But all of a sudden, he's a way better athlete, at least measurables-wise. And I think most people thought he was looking at the tape. Should that change how high you would draft him? He's another one of those guys that's, um, we mentioned player workouts, perhaps changing the math on some of these stuff. On some of these things, I know Ritter's working out with, uh, with Jordan Palmer who's had success with various prospects, particularly athletic ones, athletic ones like Josh Allen. Not that you're always going to equate that one-to-one. I'm just saying that stuff is in play when you see a guy that's really athletic and working with um, a guy that has a history of making guys, helping to make guys better. So I'm intrigued by Ritter. Uh, as if in the Falcons case, I'd probably, you know, I'd pounce on him if he's there at 40. If not, I mean, it's a whole bunch of take the best players as far as the draft goes. And once again, the same thing I said for other teams that are rebuilding. If you're going to sign somebody this year, it, it had better be for, with 2023 and 24 in mind. The goal for the Falcons this year should be put a really good roster in place for 23 and 24 when you're going to have a new quarterback and you start to get out from under Matt Ryan's contract. They, they, I mean, they basically don't have a wide receiver on the roster yeah. <laughs> like at all. Um, they have Kyle Pitts. Kyle, 
Right. Kyle Pitts is their wide receiver. Everybody else is gone. Uh, Russell Gage is hitting free agency. Calvin Ridley just got himself suspended for a year. Um, they don't have anybody. So as much as you might like the flexibility of drafting a quarterback at number eight, you almost need to just get a wide receiver at number eight and to hell with it because you don't have anything yet. Now, obviously, that can change in free agency, but they need to put together a complete wide receiver core, not just get a guy. Yeah, it, the, the roster's in rough shape, Sam. They don't have a receiver, so you need multiple receivers. Defensively, uh, as far as like just their starters, they've got four players, three players as starters that are going to be here beyond uh, 23 uh, or, or on the roster in 2023. So depth across the board for the Falcons. Grab the best players, grab youth, get young guys, uh, young guys that are going to be here for the long haul. And um, at eight, I, I, I was giving them Trent McDuffie, their corner out of Washington. I think Sauce Gardner should be in play there for them. Derek Stingley, the same thing. All of those corners, I think value-wise at eight would be a really nice pick for the Falcons. A.J. Terrell had an awesome year two there. Uh, pairing those guys with Terrell, one of those guys, would be a, a good start for this defense, You know, building it back to front um, and getting some, just getting some support in the back seven next to A.J. Terrell there. Yeah, I mean the- – the entire defense, like you could literally draft. Grady Jarrett is great. That's it. Like that's their defense. Okay, Deion Jones has shown in the past that if there's a good defense around him, he could play well. But right now, Grady Jarrett is the only human being on that defense that you couldn't upgrade upon very easily. So any pick on defense would be good. On the other hand, you don't have any wide receivers at all. Matt Ryan is aging or if he's being replaced – Whatever it is, it feels like the Giants thing, right? Where you fix the offense quickly, and then the defense is a longer-term project that you're not fixing this offseason. So you want you want offense all this this year's for offense, yes, for the Falcons. Uh, would you go receiver at eight with the Drake London's of the world, potentially? Yeah, I mean at eight, obviously the Drake London pick is is a good one. Also, they would be any of those receivers, right there. They're not in a position like Philadelphia was in my eyes where I would target a specific style of receiver because they need everything. Pick your favorite. If you know if you like Garrett Wilson as the best guy there, grab Garrett Wilson. If you like Alave, Drake London, whoever it is, grab your favorite receiver. All right. I'm also going to give the very generic. They've got nine draft picks, which is fine. Three in the top 58. You have the Tennessee Titans pick at number 58. Can you trade down over and over and over again? Because the Falcons... <laughs> have like i said one of the lowest numbers of just returning starters and not not a lot of cap space right so you don't have a lot to build on for the future in a team that's rebuilding can you draft you know trade down draft 13 times 14 times and try to replenish the, the roster that way that would be another part of my falcon strategy here yeah um i definitely a reasonable one i mean they definitely need to attack this with everything all right, so um, I have got fewer specifics for the Falcons because I don't think the specifics – it's not about it's, – it's this overarching strategy of younger players um, drafting a lot. If you're going to go to free agency, it's, it's guys who are not 30. You know, it's guys – it's the – not the James Daniels, the guard from the Bears, but I mentioned earlier, he's 24. I mean, it's those types of players that you're looking at in free agency that are going to be there in 23 and 24 as part of this rebuild. And that's it. 
Yeah. I mean, I would, I would try and grab a couple of young ish receivers that you think can be part of a receiving core to the point where I like, I don't understand why you would let Russell Gage walk out of that building unless he thinks he can get monster money on the free agent market that you're not willing to commit to him because he'd be a perfect guy to have. Um, maybe Cedric Wilson is a guy that they could tempt over who could be uh, definitely good. Number three, potentially a number two as well. Um, you know, maybe they can resuscitate the career of a guy like DJ Chark with a better quarterback, whatever it is, like just grab yourself a couple of receivers that are young enough that you think have upside draft the guy in the first round. And then like, let's start piecing this thing together. Give me one of those corners, number eight. And I'm pretty happy from the Falcons, Trent McDuffie, sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, make it happen. Getting the Falcons moving in the right direction. All right. Who's next to fix here. By the the way, the, the complete details on the Carson Wentz trade, bring it. They are swapping second round picks this year. Uh, they get a third round pick this year and they get a third round pick next year that becomes a second round pick if Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps. Oh, <laughs> that same deal. And they're taking on the entirety of the contract. So the Colts aren't eating any of that money. It's gone. What? So the in in totality for the Colts, look, I don't want to make the show much longer than it is, but in totality for the Colts, is that that bad? Starting with the trade for Carson Wentz, Oh no, them being able to get rid of this is fine. But isn't that but isn't that part of the strategy of taking the Carson Wentz shot anyway? Because if you look at it, fifty thousand foot view, you say the Colts took a shot that they could win with Carson Wentz. It didn't work. It cost them a first rounder, but it but they got out of the contract. They received some draft capital back, which could be a third plus a second. It's, it's at least two thirds. And that whole package is worth the one-year experiment to see if Carson Wentz could be that guy. I mean, I, I, I don't think hate it's that fairly, as a concept. I think, it's, I think it's fairly miraculous that they were able to recoup what they've just recouped based off the year that Carson Wentz just had. But, but I think you're pl- – but that's part of this. Like, you're playing off the desperation of others. You're get, right now, if you, if you think if, – if you know how desperate you are, the Colts, last year at this time – and you're just assuming there's going to be four or five other desperate teams around the league next year at this time, it's part of the reasoning in making that trade. I mean, it could be. Because you don't want to like trade for a guy where it's like, man, we just got to make sure we have an out so we can trade him in a year. Like You want him to be good, but you also have to hedge a little bit. And I feel like the Colts successfully hedged here. I'll go back and look at it. All right, let's fix the Carolina Panthers, Sam. Oh, God. You ready? Sure. Sam Darnold is the starting quarterback as of right now. Uh, they've been in the market for all the quarterbacks. They haven't pulled anything off just yet. Uh, offensively, Matt Paradis and Trent Scott, both offensive linemen hitting, uh, they're gone. Last year's free agent signings, Cam Irving and Pat Elfline, they're back. Every projected starter, or every starter from last year, had a negative war, except Matt Paradis on this offensive line, and, and Taylor Mouton. Um, so three out of five, negative war, not great. Offensive line, I want to say that's the starting point for the Panthers, but also, you know, quarterback, still a question. So there's two different fixing. So if you're, if you're the current regime, right, you absolutely need to make something significant happen at quarterback. You cannot possibly go into this season with Sam Darnold as your starter you can't really go into the season with a guy you draft a number six as your starter either. I don't think you 
need to find some kind of viable, half-decent quarterback that's a veteran. And to me, that puts you in the Jimmy Garoppolo sweepstakes, potentially, though that's pretty scary given his injury history and the the concern over how good he actually is. Um, It maybe puts you in the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes. They might be the only team desperate enough to trade for a Kirk Cousins, except apparently the Colts now as well. Um, On the other hand, if you are, you know, insert generic GM and head coach here and you actually have some time to work with, I don't think that's the way you go and you need to start thinking about we're going to suck next year and plan for the year beyond and try and get good that way. So which are we? Uh, I, I think there's a world where Matt rules heading into year three and has to make something happen, right? That's what I'm saying. So and, if we're Matt rule, we need to treat this completely differently than if we're like, you know, a guy that has some time to play with. I would much – the team needs more time. I remember two years ago, Matt Rule's first draft, every pick was on defense, right? And this is what happens uh, when you're so lopsided in the draft. And even their first draft pick, I believe, the next year, right, was, um, was defense again, was um, J.C. Horn last year, right, at corner was their first pick. They spent so much draft capital on the defensive side of the ball, and you look at their offense, it's like, what do you have to show? You have Christian McCaffrey and D.J. Moore, Taylor Moton. That's who you feel good about. Did we say, what did we say? It was Mouton? Moton. Moton, right. We went back to Moton. You have three, three players you feel good about on offense. It's another year that – another team that has to uh, focus on offense. I thought their receiving core looked better. Disappointing year from Robbie Anderson. He's already on the trading block. So let's do – but let's do this from Matt Rule. Let's do this from the standpoint it's year three of our regime. Okay. I, I, I would kick the tires maybe on Garoppolo over Cousins. No. I don't want any piece of Garoppolo. I don't trust that he'll be playing more than 11 games in the season. I need a guy that's going to be there for 17 weeks. 18 just, weeks, 17 games. Uh, it just feels like trading for one year, either of these guys, trading right. for one year of a Cousins yeah, at that bad. price for a team that doesn't have any kind of foundation. Cousins wouldn't yes. let that happen. Cousins will he refuses to play outside of a nice dome where he can, you know, build up the passing stats and PFF grade. You know, so, you know, he's calculating it. I mean, look, there's no good here. We've we've already made some mistakes along the way. We've made we've made a lot of errors here, and we got to try and get it all back with one Hail Mary. Cuz they're picking the Panthers are picking at 6. And they have yeah. a massive need at left tackle. So a lot of people are saying, hey, it's Charles Cross, it's Icky Iquan. It's one of those tackles. But if, you have, if, if, you're roll, if you're running it back with Sam Darnold, who had a nice little three-week stretch to start the season and then fell back, if you're running it back with Sam Darnold. You can't. You can't. you, you got to go quarterback at some point. You don't have a second rounder either. Because that's the other part of this. You have all these holes on the roster. You have players signed. This is the difference from the Falcons. The Falcons don't have players signed. The Panthers have players signed that just aren't good. Yeah. So you got a lot to, lot to upgrade here. Right. Uh, why did I sign up for this? There's, look, there's no, there's no good. This is just what's the least bad thing you can do here. Like mistakes have been made along the way, a lot of mistakes. Um, and now you're hip deep. This is like, you know, yeah, yeah, you got trapped into a Ponzi scheme. And in order to get the money for that, you borrowed it off loan sharks. And now the loan sharks are looking for the money. The Ponzi scheme, like, lost everything you're hip deep in debt three guys with knuckle dusters and baseball bats are coming after you and it's like all right how do i get out of this that's the situation the panthers are in right now 
and there's no good answer, right? There's no like tree, like tree money tree around the corner that you can just go pluck clean and get all the cash you need to get out of the hole. You're screwed. So it's like which ridiculous hail mary gamble attempt? Do you, you know which? What long shot do we take a swing at in the hope that something completely unrealistic pans out and we get saved? That's what we're talking about here. If I've got to hitch my wagon to some miracle attempt, it's I got to take a shot at Kirk Cousins. So we're adding Kirk Cousins here in Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk, Which Kirk, means you're probably giving up number six overall because you don't have anything else to trade him. And you don't have a second. Yeah. You're going to trade Robbie, Robbie Anderson, I guess. I mean, look, Kirk. Kirk's a good quarterback. We all agree he's a good quarterback. I, he does do a nice job of making like he he produces in in good situations, right? He's he always had good receivers in Washington. He's had good receivers in Minnesota. I don't want to see the world where Kirk Cousins has to carry a bad roster offensively. He's always had good, good offensive personnel, other than say pass blocking offensive lines. So good on him for making do with that. But I don't want to see the world where he's got to carry subpar receivers. You need and, those dudes loaded. Like you got to be loaded up there. And even when you hear, like you know, I think it was um, Quazy at his press conferences were talking about like the thing about Kirk Cousins is when when things are good, when the play, when, when the situation to him is beneficial, that's when he really lights it up and looks amazing. And you know, the, the obvious point to that or response to that was kind of like, yeah, but like, what what is? What about those plays when it isn't? Like, those are the problem, right? So even, and he was sort of, his point was, well, that's an underrated thing, right? Which is, connects with some of the things we've been saying, right? Like the most stable aspect of quarterback play is from a clean pocket. And when things are good, that's when you get to get the best view of how good a quarterback is. But there's also something to the idea that like, yeah, but the thing that separates those guys and Mahomes is when the thing isn't great and you're able to still make things happen. So there's something to the idea that even his own team now thinks that like Kirk Cousins is great when when everything around him is good, but now we're about to uproot him from that situation, put him in a situation that sucks, where the offensive line is four turnstiles and Taylor Motes on, and say, "All right, go to work, Kirk." So we've traded like for, it's going to work out well. So we've traded for Kirk, and our yeah. only chance is to build that offensive line. We don't have our first two draft picks, correct, to do that. So we got to do it all in free agency. All right. Dwayne Brown's number 32 on the PFF free agent board, even in his slightly regressed state. His worst yep. grade last year since 2008, upgrade at left tackle. Done. You can get Dwayne Brown at left tackle. I keep circling back to Ben Jones because I think as far as dependable starting centers go, he's up there. Uh, Alex Kappa, another guard that we've mentioned from Tampa Bay. I don't know if they have enough money to spend everywhere here. Dwayne yeah. Brown's not bad long term. Uh, Kappa could be close to ten million as a starter. Right tackle is really the only spot that's solidified. We need multiple starters here and no draft picks. It all has to come through free agency. I mean, I would also bring in multiple guys at almost every spot, like low cost, and just see what sticks. Like Austin Blythe and Austin Ryder are both available yeah. free agent centers. Either one of them, I think, has a pretty good shot of being an upgrade over you have right now. The same thing with a bunch of these guard spots. Just like grab two or three of these guys that have shown they can start at the NFL and hope that it's an upgrade over what you've had, which has been catastrophic. 
Honestly, you know, Quentin Spain's leaving the Bengals offensive line, which all you talk about, it needs to get better. But Quentin Spain's still, a, he's a decent player if the other three or four are good as well. I mean, he's if, coming off his best season for yeah, a long time. Quentin Spain you might be able to get for under $5 million a year. I'm always looking at my guy Cornelius Lucas. I love my good swing tackles who, when they get to play, last three years that he's played, he's graded in the 70s. Still better than anything the Panthers have besides Moton. Get Cornelius Lucas in there as a swing tackle if he has to play left tackle for you. If Dwayne Brown gets hurt, Lucas is an upgrade. Again, I think if you look at the PFF free agent board, you can make some shrewd moves here getting players to reshape an offensive line. For Kirk, do you keep Robbie Anderson? Maybe see what you can get just because you have to get younger somewhere as a roster if you don't have any draft capital. Yeah, I mean, I'm always listening to offers, but given that you've just traded for Kirk and you kind of need to be good this year, I would be inclined to keep that intact if I, yeah. unless I'm given an offer that I can't turn down. You hope Terrace Marshall takes a step forward. Yeah. They just paid Ian Thomas a below average tight end, a lot Perfect. of money. Man. And we haven't talked about, you know, the defense has some holes as well. You got to replace Hassan Reddick. I mean, the Reddick move last year, getting him for a year was fine. I mean, you, there was no long term play there, but he was a good. One-year option. He hits free agency again. So edge edge rusher is another place that they have to look. Starting corner with Dante Jackson. No, I mean, you got C.J. Henderson, J.C. Horn, but you wouldn't mind some some corner depth as they lose Dante Jackson and Stephon Gilmore. Don't worry, though. They also locked up uh, Zane Gonzalez before free agency opened. So they're they're really taking off the big, uh, the important items. I mean, they gave up a draft pick just so they could get three-quarters of a season of Stephon Gilmore. They'll at least get a comp pick back for him, right? Yeah, the the moves that Carolina chooses to prioritize are mind blowing to me. Um, I don't, I don't understand almost all of them, any of them, from start to finish. Like day one of free agency, like two hours in last year, it was Cameron Irving and um, Pat Elfline, each of whom are terrible NFL players. Like you know, terrible, terrible NFL players are spectacular athletes relative to normal humans. But they're bad football players at this level. And they went out and signed those guys right away at the start of free agency, which suggests that they were high priorities for deals to get done, right? I don't like if you if you scrabble around free agency for like a week and you didn't get anything and the only guys that were left are Cameron Irving and Pat Elfline, fine. I might think about bringing them in for almost nothing. But like to sign them in the first couple of hours of free agency, it's just it's bad. And it, it worked out badly. And then this year, again, like Ian Thomas, like nobody in the world was going to sign that guy for half decent money, right? So why? Like you can bring him back a week into free agency when nobody has picked up the phone for him. You can call and say, hey, you want to come back? You know, we got a nice, attractive <laughs> yeah. veteran minimum deal for you. Sure. To do it, to lock him up for like decent money, more money than anybody was going to pay him before free agency. Again, I just, what's the purpose? And then Zane Gonzalez, who was a guy we loved coming into the NFL, has subsequently had a pretty bad NFL career and then had one half-decent year last season for the Panthers, you are buying at the absolute peak of this guy's asking price, which, again, just doesn't make sense. It's not smart. So these are the moves that have put us in a situation where we need to go and throw number six overall to the Minnesota Vikings for Kirk Cousins, who are running laps of celebration that they've been able to get rid of this millstone from around their necks and get a number six overall pick into the bargain. Like, what are we doing here? Good monologue. It's good monologue. I I don't understand. 
Some people would think you had a teleprompter for that. That was smooth. Thanks. That was really good. And we were trying to speed it up here, but you were just, you were rolling. You were rolling. I mean, I just... Look, Panthers, we said there's ways to fix your offensive line. We've said that we same thing for the Giants, same thing for the Dolphins. Find the right players there. Do that. Um, <clears throat> defensively, I'd be intrigued by this one. Remember J.C. Horn, really good press corner? What if you got another one of those guys in Traverius Ward? You'd have to change your system. You'd have to make sure you're playing a lot more man. I don't know if the Panthers are ready to do it or not, but that's what J.C. Horn brings to the table. That's what Ward would bring to the table if you paired those guys. I know that you have a, a shot taken on C.J. Henderson out there as well, but if they want to play more man, Ward would be one of those guys. Um, yeah. We fixed the Panthers? No, Do we but get we've taken the best shot we can take we at took it. On, we, we took on to this watch. job. We took on this job here, Sam. What we did is we took all the loan shark money and we went into the casino and we put it all down on 78 or like 39 black, right? And just spun the wheel. And now we're sitting here watching the and just hoping it comes up 39 black. Otherwise, we're screwed. We're getting legs broken. 39 black is Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Got it. All right, don't forget, all these grades and stats, all available over at pff.com. Every subscription, 25% off. Look at it. You added another metaphor to the table there. Promo code's NFLPOD, by the way, 25% off. I still have negative one metaphors. Yeah, you got to get yourself back into the positive column. All right, I get it. I want to do some research on how to make good metaphors. You're just so natural at it, you know? Who's left here? Saints and Bucks. Do we hit everybody? hour and 45 minutes in we had all the other news to discuss so how are we fixing the saints what are we doing at qb sam Jameis, Jameis, and teddy are both in play by the way for the saints according to what they're just in play they're free agents they're potentially oh, okay sure as um returning to the saints potentially i mean it's not the worst move in the world like the saints are a good the saints are a team that fits uh in terms of the first round where you want to take some of these quarterbacks, right? They're picking number 18. Yep. Most people don't like any of these guys in the top 10. Maybe one or two of them goes in the top 10 just because of the nature of quarterbacks now. But if you can snag like the second or third best quarterback in this draft at number 18, I think that's a nice spot to have them. And if you have the flexibility of having Jameis Winston back on board and the guy doesn't need to start week one, all the better. So, you know, if you can grab a Sam Howell or a Desmond Ritter or you know, whoever your favorite is at number 18, I'm all for it. So you think if we sign Jameis and then draft a quarterback in the first yeah. round, are you okay? So we're going to take that short in long-term approach here? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm good with that as well. Take shots. A good good place to take shots on the QB. Over-unders, two and a half QBs in the first round, I believe, yeah. right? And uh, the under's favorite right now? Okay. I don't know, man. I mean, there's rumors about Malik Willis going two, potentially. And as the commanders find their quarterback. I'd be surprised. Other teams are desperate, man. I'd be surprised if three didn't go. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I I think there's going to be enough desperate teams at this point. I mean, there's going to be teams that Mitch Trubisky signs with and Jameis signs with and Teddy Bridgewater signs with. And those teams should all be looking for QB still, right? So they should be in the mix. So we sign Jameis, we bring him back. Number one priority, I think, is Michael Thomas is technically back and all that stuff too, but playmaker's still a big issue with the Saints here. And then left tackle. 
with Teron Armstead hitting free agency. Well, Playmaker looks an awful lot better the second Michael Thomas is back in the building. Um, you know, now you got Michael Thomas, you got Marquez Callaway, doesn't need to be the number one who can be way further down the depth chart. Okay, you don't have much else, so you still need to hit wide receiver. Um, but, you know, Michael Thomas was an elite number one wide receiver the last time we saw him healthy. Now, there's definitely a question as to what that's going to look like now, this far removed from that play and the injury that he's dealt with. But in theory, you should be getting a very good player back at that key position of importance. Per rap sheet, the Colts are expected to be in on Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. So that's their... Doesn't shock me. So that's their next play. Get Jimmy in a dome, man. Uh, left tackle's an issue for the first time in a while here for the Saints, too. That's the other thing at 18. If they don't go quarterback... It's a good spot to get a left tackle, potentially. We mentioned Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa earlier. Rumors about him going top 10, though. Bernard Ryman, that might be his sweet spot from Central Michigan. Left tackle could be in play there, too, if they don't go QB early. I think if they sign Jameis, whether it's short or long term, I don't see the Saints going QB in round one. I would do it, but I think that left tackle might need to be the thing that gets addressed there if they don't do it in free agency. James Hurst played kind of sneaky okay when he was playing left tackle for them last year like you see the thing about Terod Armstead is as good as he's been he's never played a thousand snaps in a season yeah that guy is injured every single year um and okay James Hurst isn't going to be your long-term starter but if you're left in a pinch and you have to start James Hurst for a year it might not be the worst thing in the world would they um they didn't use the franchise tag right on anybody Marcus Williams hit free agency officially believe so yeah. i don't think i missed that uh but marcus williams another you know free agent of free safety for the saints probably don't see him coming back with all the the cap and the restructuring that it needs to go in new orleans so safety is another place to take a look at um if you're the saints but um i also think just defensive line depth for them in general they've overall been very good cameron jordan marcus davenport but depth is getting a little bit thinner they lost trey hendrickson last year had injuries at times last year the pass rush just kind of came and went and I think Dennis Allen's defense kind of depends on having three legitimate rushers up front. So I think that's another place where they can go. Last year, they spent their first rounder on Peyton Turner. He didn't play a ton of snaps last year. We'll see if he develops. But it feels like another place that they could go either round one or later, adding that defensive line depth. Davenport's a guy that's been talked about a lot in terms of a trade, I think. Isn't that right? Like that they might potentially trade him somewhere else and cash in. Because he's in his fifth year, right? So he's yeah. he's in line... For a big contract as well, right? So they they had the Saints had those two years, the 2017 draft, were just unreal when you look at it with Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchek and Alvin Kamara. I mean, they got uh, who am I? And Marcus Williams, just like legitimate top top caliber players at their respective positions. Then they got Davenport the next year, and they were they're at this tipping point here where you just can't keep all of them, right? You can't keep all of those players and lock them all up. So Davenport. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Saints, you're kind of in this hybrid rebuild mode, right? Like you're good, you don't have a quarterback just yet. The division's wide open, so you can make you can play, make some plays and win, but you gotta also get a little bit younger, have some more cap flexibility going forward. So Davenport is a trade candidate. I don't hate it because his value is gonna be pretty high. Some teams, it would be like the DeForest Buckner trade a couple years ago, where the Niners traded him just before right. uh, they had to lock him up long term. Remember, look, if we're talking about signing free agents for the Saints, they are $48 million or whatever over the salary cap, but they can free up all that space. Like, that's the way the Saints manage their salary cap. They can get to about $40 million in positive space 
without problems just by restructuring contra- contracts and those kinds of things. So, you know, if we start talking about a guy, a few guys we can add in free agency, like Jameis, these are moves they can make, even if you looked at it right now and see the giant red number next to them and say, no chance, they can't spend anyone. Yeah, and even then, it's uh, Shy Tuttle, Quan Alexander, Marcus Williams, not a whole lot of free agents. Those are the guys, uh, PJ Williams in the secondary, depth piece. But they've done, a, yeah, they, they've done a nice job, I think, the Saints, building some depth on the defensive side. I would just add more on the defensive line. And, um, again, some Michael Thomas insurance as far as the offense goes offensively. So if they don't go receiver in the first round, I mean, if they don't go QB in the first round, left tackle I think is in play and receivers in play for that plethora of guys that are the, the Ohio State guys, uh, whoever's potentially available there in round one. I liked Traylon Burks there, but, you know, again, not sure he's going round one anymore. Only running four five five, which isn't an embarrassment, but, you know, four five five when everyone else is running four four or better. Yeah, and, you know, we've said this before that relative to his size, 225 pounds, it's not, it's not a bad time at all. It's basically he puts him in exactly the same um, area as – uh, A.J. Brown, who was a guy he was being compared to a lot as well. It's just given re- expectations and given, you know, he's a guy that has had issues with weight and those kinds of things. It's just a little bit concerning. Uh, if you have Jameis at quarterback, I know we've mentioned uh, uh, George Pickens. Wow. Mine went blank for a little bit. George Pickens from from Georgia. I mean, the way he catches the ball in traffic or in tight coverage, that's a, one of those guys, like when I think about pairings with quarterbacks, Jameis would be a nice fit there if we're going to sign uh, Jameis. Okay. Could I get don't him, hate it. Get him on day two, potentially. All right. Did we fix the Saints? Was there anything? Uh, you know, as much as we're going to, I Was think. there enough actionable items there? Sure. Just trying to make all the fan bases happy. Did we give you enough to work with there, Saints? Get playmakers. That's what we tell everybody. How are we going to fix the Bucks, man? They franchise Chris Godwin. He's back. Christian Watson. There's another good name there. Watson would be a nice fit for uh, Jameis and the Saints. Ran really well at the Combine. Had a really nice senior bowl. North Dakota State wide receiver. All right. Let's go to the Bucks. When they franchise Chris Godwin, is this a way to make it attractive for veteran quarterbacks? Or are they just trying to build the best roster possible? Or, you know, to make sure the light is still on for Tom Brady, you know? Chris Godwin, that, the light. Keep that light on, Chris yeah. Godwin. The light for Tom Brady. You let them all disappear, you can't, that's no light. That man's not coming back to that. But you, you keep a Chris Godwin intact, you keep Mike Evans there, you know, everybody's still there. We, the light's still on to Tom, you know, show up. He's going to be, uh, Tom is, again, once the, once like the OTA schedules come out and he doesn't get one, he's going to get sad. He's going to start getting that itch a little bit. It's like I can only drive my kids to school so many times before I got to start chucking that pigskin around. And if you're going to chuck the pigskin around, it's got to be in Tampa Bay. You're under contract. So the Bucs got to do something to make that more attractive. Starts with Chris Godwin. So you got Godwin and Evans back, but you got got to figure out the offensive line, right? All all three starters, you've got Ali Marpet retires. Ryan Jensen's a free agent at center. Alex Kappa, a free agent at guard. So interior offensive line is a big issue. Right, that's been one of the things with the with Tom Brady being there is that that offensive line has been one of the best in the NFL over that period of time. Tristan Wirfs being drafted was the last piece of that puzzle. You know, when Tom Brady first arrived, it was four fifths of a pretty good offensive line, a big question mark at right tackle. They nailed that at the first time of asking with grabbing Tristan Wirfs in the draft. 
who's been arguably the best right tackle in the league since he came in. Yep. So they've got Tristan Wirfs, a right tackle. Donovan Smith, a left tackle, has developed and has become a much better player than he was earlier in his career. It is a pretty good left tackle. But now, like you said, the entire interior is, is scheduled to be gone. Marpet is gone, gone. And then Ryan Jensen and Alex Kappa are both uh, about to hit free agency. You would suggest that maybe they, maybe they can get one of those guys back before free agency even opens and try and head that off at the pass. But they do need to repair that. Like if you have, whether or not Tom Brady is back, like if, if you want him to step back into that job, you want to. Uh, I'm assuming he's not. I'm not. In this fantasy world we're playing here, let's assume Tom Brady's not. Well, either way, you need to repair the interior. Because whether For he's sure. coming back or not, you want to assure him that it's going to be good again. And if it's somebody else, you want to make sure that the platform is there for them to succeed. And and that's so either way, you need to start finding viable starters on the interior. It's just an unexciting. Uh, it, it's unexciting from like a resource standpoint for the Bucks. Cap space isn't anything special right now, currently on the bottom end of the NFL. And they have their seven draft picks. Right, so they don't have anything above and beyond other teams, and they have a lot to replace. Of course, it starts with Brady, but even if Brady was coming back, you'd say they'd be sitting here saying, "Okay, how how are we going to finagle this offensive line? We have a bunch of defensive linemen hitting free agency. We have two fifths of our starting secondary hitting free agency with Carlton Davis at corner, Jordan Whitehead at safety. Once they franchise tagged Chris Godwin." It all but puts Carlton Davis out on the market, right? As a yeah. uh, you know, one of the top cornerbacks out there for all the teams where we, you know, I didn't mention Carlton Davis for a bunch of teams earlier when we talked about potential options at corner. But Davis is good. I mean, he can play zone. He, he's played in a zone-heavy system in Tampa Bay, but Davis plays press man extremely well too. He's like a jacked-up linebacker out there beating up receivers when given the opportunity. Davis is a really good player on the outside. Uh, JPP older and hitting free agency. So there's a lot to replace here for Tampa Bay. And again, not a ton of extra money or extra draft picks to pull this thing off. Yeah, and their their first round pick obviously doesn't roll around until number 27. So right. they're not even in this position they were when they had Tristan Wirfs, which is, you know, we pick somewhere at the top of the draft and we have a shot at getting this immediate guy who can come in and be a day one starter and solidify that spot. If they roll into the draft, needing to grab a couple of starters, whether it's at uh, the interior of their offensive line, whether it's a second corner, whatever it is, you're going to be having to make that pick. You're going to be having to find that guy starting at 27, you know, and, and beyond. And it's not to say that's impossible, but it's a hell of a lot harder than when you're picking at whatever it was, 12 or 13 or wherever they picked the last time. Only two guards in the top 40 on our draft board. Zion Johnson technically at 41 right now, the BC guard. I think he'll be moving up in our next – in our next reshake of the draft board, I saw him mentioned in the YouTube chat. I put him late first to the Bengals. He could be in play there at 27. Kenyon Green from Texas A&M, some tackle flexibility, tackle type of skills, um, but he's technically a guard too. How unexciting is that if you're the Bucks, though? I mean, you can't, you can't go round one guard if you don't have a QB, right? I mean, I mean you can. Desmond like, Ritter's think- another guy, I think, at that point in the draft as far as a skill set that fits Bruce Arians. No, like I don't. They're not drafting a quarterback. I mean, I think Bruce Arians has already said that. Like, option one was Kyle Trask, and option two was a veteran. Like, they're not, they're not getting a quarterback in the first round. That's going to be the guy starting next year. So, 
it may be unexciting, but if you have to pick a guard with number 27, you pick a guard at number 27. That's the situation you've left yourself with. Corners, the other spot they could end up going because of what I said with Carlton Davis hitting free agency. But man, if they're going to go, like, it's another team. Best, if they're going to go veteran, best free agent fits Jameis Winston, played in the system before, has the arm to do it. If you're talking Bruce Arians fit, our free agent board, Teddy Bridgewater, no. Marcus Mariota, I don't think so. I mean, I just don't think they fit what they want to do there. They're going to go Andy Dalton, Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yeah, and they're running out of, you know, by sitting and waiting, essentially, you're taking yourself out of the sweepstakes for any of these other options like Russell Wilson or anybody you could have been in on on, uh, when they get moved. So it may end up being Kyle Trask next year. Like Kyle Trask and keeping the light on, hope that Tom has a change of heart in August. I said we got to fix the Bucs, not just predict, man. I don't. I don't, Look, I don't I mean, know what the fix is at QB. We're fixing them by giving them an offensive line. Like, either way, you need one of those. Kyle Trask might be fine. Zion Johnson, bring back Kappa. Got to figure out center. Gen- um, Ryan Jensen might cost a lot of money. I mean, they paid a lot of yes. money for him. He's going to cost a lot of money. They're going to be priced out of the Ryan Jensen thing. I think so, too. Probably priced out of that, priced out of Jordan Davis. So, again, I think corner could be in play back end of the first. There might be some value there. Um, they need to, they they do have a nice nucleus on defense with Vita Vea, Levante David still there, uh, Devin White might be better than our grade show. I don't know. The guy right. flies around the field, does some stuff. Shaq Barrett's good. Antoine Winfield's really good. They've got a good nucleus on defense. And last year's draft was designed to look to the future, right? True. The players they were selecting were guys that were supposed to be good, not necessarily this year, but the next year because the roster was so loaded. So. Joe Tryon Shoyenka didn't play particularly well last season, but was supposed to be raw, was supposed to be a developmental guy. Robert Hainsey at center was another guy that could potentially be good in future, but didn't have any spot last year because Ryan Jensen was there. So, you know, if Hainsey can step in and be your center next year, that's one spot done. If we can get them to bring back Alex Kappa, that's number two. If they draft a guard in the first round at 27, that's, that's your trio. All of a sudden, your five offensive linemen are put back together. You brought back Chris Godwin. You still have Mike Evans. You still have Cameron Brayton, some receiving weapons. You know, Kyle Trask, the quarterback, running back you can pick up in the mid-rounds in, in any given draft. So that's not a problem. All of a sudden, that's an offense that can work. And then, you know, if Brady gets itchy feet in, in, in August – walks back into a decent roster. The other part of leaving the light on, you, you got to get Gronk back somehow. I haven't heard anything about Gronk yet. Is there anything on Gronk? Is he, get, is, is he even going to play somewhere? Is he going to sign somewhere next week? Can the Bucks lure him back without a quarterback? Probably not. I wouldn't have thought. I, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, he felt like a guy that was either playing with Tom Brady or was gone. Right. right? But all of a sudden, he then sort of says, well, I'd play with Joe Burrow. And now everyone's sort of like, ooh, could we yeah. get Gronk? <laughs> In Buffalo, Buffalo could upgrade a quarterback. That's where he's from. So the Bills fans are all going nuts. I mean, I could see Gronk one last hurrah, with an, but only going to like where a good, where a good quarterback is. But that just, that's another issue because O.J. Howard's also a free agent. So all you're left with is Cameron Brait at tight end. So tight end is an issue here for the Bucs too. Even though it's not a high-volume position in the pass game, they run the ball a ton. And, and run behind their tight end a lot, too. So got to find somebody there as well in Tampa Bay. Yeah. It's a tough offseason, I think, for the Bucs. Yeah. That's the I mean, price you pay. That's what happens when your quarterback leaves. It's a price, that's the price you pay for a championship. I mean, that's the other thing I would do if I'm the Bucs. 
probably replaying some 2020 playoff games or something, you know, just to feel good about things. Just, just have them hey. on the building, you know, on those TVs. Yeah, like 2022 might not be great, but boy, we wanted in 2020. Let's just remember that and just feed off that, you know? We had some good times. We had yeah. some good times. It was all worth it. We might be in a bit of a mess right now, but it was all worth it because we, we got that trophy in 2020. Mm-hmm. All right. Bucks are fixed. We gave them some options. Giving our team some options. Just talking through it, Sam. That's all we can do. Now, now it's like a two-hour podcast. We nailed it. Perfect. My voice is starting to go again. Two hours. Yeah, later. I feel really bad for your voice. Can't handle it. You gonna feel? You feeling any better? No. Okay, great. We doing this remotely tomorrow again? Oh yeah. Tomorrow we fix the NFC North and the West. North and West tomorrow. We get to fix the uh, the Seahawks tomorrow. Look at that. We got a guy talking about you know my coffee mug being dangerously balanced, and yet it's you over there in the studio dropping crap. I dropped my stylus. Let me pick it up real quick. Okay, you do that. I got it. Yeah, Perfect. why is the mug on the coffee table? You got to put it on a firm surface, not a hard surface, not the... not the. It's on like the arm of the couch, but it's very flat, wide arm. It's, it, looks, it's it looks unsturdy. I love the belt, no, though. Well, well-placed belt. Belt looks good. We had some belt discourse in the YouTube chat. I always appreciate that. So that's good. All right, that's it. A lot of news. Trying to touch on it as much as possible. Check out the PFF NFL Daily for more. If you didn't get your team covered yet, well, we've got two more divisions to go through tomorrow. Fixing every single team in five minutes. And uh, go check out the archives for all your uh, all the previous teams. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Don't forget, 25% off NFL Pod is the promo code. 25% off everything at pff.com. All right, that's it. Feel better, Sam. We'll see you tomorrow.